Hello and welcome to the Weird Geeks Movie Channel and our Star Wars Retrospective Podcast, where every Wednesday and every Saturday we'll be covering a new installment in the classic franchise. Warning, this podcast contains strong language and spoilers throughout. Go to weirdgeeks.com to check out our other podcast series, Twitch streams, contact details, and news on our very own feature films that are currently in production through our publisher, We Are Tessellate. Weird Geeks is not affiliated with any of the rights holders of the films referenced, and no infringement is intended. Geeks! Geeks! <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the We Are Geek Star Wars retrospective podcast. It's all in the past, so I guess retrospective, concurrent, and future podcast. Where every single week, no, fuck that. Well, nearly. Oh, I cocked it all up. <laughs> it's gone terribly, terribly wrong. Redo. <laughs> nah, fine. Fuck it. Just champion on. We are dealing with Solo, which just came out in the. We just did Last Jedi proper. Actually, probably just yesterday, I think that's going to have gone up because we had a few issues with that. So we apologize. But hey, it's there if you want to hear all of those fun feelings, which did change since the last one. So if you heard the last one, then thought I'm going to skip that one and just wait till solo. Don't be an idiot. Yeah. Go and put the three hours in and listen to our stupidly exhaustive retread episode. It's only maybe- three hours, guys. <laughs> yeah. What else you got to do with your life? Especially because you're probably thinking... I've heard these guys talk about it in two previous podcasts. Surely their opinions won't swing back the <laughs> other way again. Possibly a change. <laughs> Weirdly, yeah, we should do three podcasts in every film, it seems, because a lot of our opinions did change. But yeah, no, we're here to talk about Solo. I'm Al White. Joining me is Christina Masterson. Hello. Alexander Chard. <laughs> Um, so, very quickly, before we get into this, if you're new to us and yeah, this is your first time listening, uh, hello, congratulations. And please, can you head over to wearegeeks.com, wearegeeks.com, where you can patch out to all of our stuff, subscribe. And every single Friday, we have a new horror retrospective episode going up. Right now, we're just finishing off Romero's Living Dead with Christina Masson and Haruka Abe. Ooh. And then we're about to get into something else very, very soon. Ooh. But yeah, we've got tons of content over there. Just go to wearegeeks.com and then uh, take it to iTunes. And please rate and subscribe because we do all this for free. So that helps us out. So when we did The Last Jedi, it's kind of hard reviewing this stuff because we don't really, like, I know some reviewers go in and they take a little pencil and pad and they sit in the back seat and they write it all down, all that stuff. I don't really like doing that. And I don't think any of us wanted to do that. We just wanted to watch the film. So we haven't done that. So it is hard to kind of go through it in a normal way. So again, if this is your first episode, this is not a normal style. We tend to like to give some context to the year and stuff and then rip through the film scene by scene. But we're going to do a more abridged version. We've got a basic sort of synopsis. We're probably going to be jumping around out of order a bit on this, just with feelings that we have and stuff. And to be clear, none of us have spoken to each other since we saw this film, so we don't know our feelings. <laughs> we're fucking busting to talk about it. Anything else we need to say? Any other preamble? I think that's it. Christina, you have many things you want to say? No, we can't do our 2018 list. Top 10 list. We can't do it. We can't. We don't know. I mean, we could just guess, just do a stab in the dark and see how right we are, but no idea. This will not be the number one film of the year. That much I can say. We will have another confirmed, 100%, another Star Wars film that will not be the number one film of the year. I am guessing it's going to be, what, Infinity War? Is that heading for number one? Infinity War, for sure. It's got to be Infinity War. Yeah. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So, this movie cost 
So this, we've got a lot to get through, guys, because this movie had a spoiled history. Uh, this movie cost $300 million to make. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love the look at your face, which is kind of normal for these movies, though. Now, the problem with that is it currently has a 70% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, as people may have seen from the memes going around. This means it is the third lowest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes in the Star Wars franchise. Just above Attack of the Clones, which has 66%. Are you and just serious? Under that is The Phantom Menace with 59%. This is not a beloved film by the public. So, I mean, critics have been a little kinder to it, but they're definitely all over the place. There's a lot of sort of medium reviews from critics I've found. It's also been a huge bomb. <laughs> and I mean, it's been a huge fucking bomb. $103 million domestic over the four days since release. $168 million worldwide over its three-day launch. It was expected to pull maybe like $300 million. This is the lowest opening of any Star Wars film with inflation. So for comparison to that, Rogue One opened with $155 million domestic. The Force Awakens and The Lost Jedi both did over $220 million mm. domestic. This movie made only $100 million mm. domestic. Wow. So it is a huge disappointment for old uh, Kathleen Kennedy, our friend over there. And yeah, it's, it's become... Uh, I mean, these movies never bring out the best in people, do they? Like, it's just become rife for the fighting grounds to have... One of the lowest rated and definitely the lowest opening of any Star Wars film in franchise history. So everyone's going crazy fighting about this movie. <laughs> and I don't know about you guys, but most people seem to be on the side of not liking it. Is that what you've seen, Alex? Or Yeah, that's the impression that I got. I, it's all become very ugly. I saw, I was clicking like one link on YouTube about this, it was this video and it was this guy that was like, going through everything that he felt was wrong, but it, it descended into sort of this very misogynistic attack on Kathleen Kennedy. Like, it, it strays so far from just critiquing the film itself and becomes, like, these disgusting kind of social issues that are, that are thrust upon it, and like these angry really fanboys. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> and then this one guy was like, this is how I would rewrite it, and- I'm sure that with everyone getting so upset, Kathleen Kennedy and, uh, and Lucasfilms are going to be forced to listen to the fans and change these films. <laughs> she don't give a shit. I, I mean, I am not, I've said on other podcasts, I'm not a fan of Kathleen Kennedy. It has nothing to do with her being a woman. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for but sure. Yeah, we will get into that stuff. Christina, blissfully mm. unaware of the social... Uh, ramifications of this movie or has it has it ebbed its way into your life as well no it hasn't i mean uh, the only thing because the only friend that watches star wars i went with her to go watch the movie and she liked it um i haven't heard anything else from any of my other friends the only thing i've heard was i was listening to npr and somebody did a review on npr about it okay okay and i think it was not so great well, let's talk a little bit then about how we all saw it. Christina, you just mentioned and you went with us. You found a Star Wars friend on purpose, yes, not Alex. one of my best friends. Because again, you don't want to, you know, ever go to a Star Wars film with Alex. So you found someone else that you could go with. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex was going in the morning or something. I was. Right? I was. Yeah. Sorry, Alex. <laughs> I get uh, it. Did you, so this film has actually been released in 3D as is custom. <laughs> <laughs> for all films that go to the cinema. Did anybody see it in 3D, Christina? Was, did you see no, it? No, I didn't. Okay, cool. I never go to 3D screenings. Yeah. 
Well, did, did you, you go? You went like, was it second day? Was that when you went, Christina? I think. I went on the 24th. What, was that the first or second day, Alex? I think it was the first night yeah. that opened the 24th because I, I saw it the next day on the yeah. Friday. Okay. Okay. Nah. Yeah. yeah. First day. And I think it was the first screening. It was at 7 30. I mean, it's the only one that it was the first one that was available. So, and okay. there was like, was it quite, I mean, was I was it able to get tickets. It was full eventually. Okay. Eventually. But yeah. Okay. But it, it wasn't as packed. It wasn't, I don't know if it was packed, packed. Alex, how about your early morning screening then? Yeah. So, because of scheduling, I went and saw it first thing in the morning on the Friday, the 25th. And yeah, I was surprised actually for that time of day. There was maybe half full. Okay. And despite what we, I just remembered this then, like despite uh, some of the current online backlash, the group that I was in the cinema with, and I won't include myself in this just yet because I don't want to reveal anything, but the, the rest of the cinema applauded at the end of the film. Oh, really? Wow, it's been a long time since I've had an applause in a <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to think of like when the last time I uh, heard they do sometimes do, I applause. find they do that more in LA. I feel there's this weird thing in LA of like, oh, we're all, we're all part of this, aren't we? Let's all have a good old clap. <laughs> like, we're in an industry. Yeah. Um, I went to see it. Yeah, I went actually midnight screening. So, like the night before opening night and I'm in England. So, it's like eight hours ahead of people. So it was kind of excruciating waiting to see when it started to trickle out. And I went with uh, my director of photography of my, my first film, Starfish, who happened to be here for the grade. And he is a big Star Wars fan, it turns out, but he hasn't seen well, any of the new ones because he has kids. So he hasn't had like the time to see the new ones. So he's a big, big fan of like the classics and he has seen the prequels. So this was his first look at Disney Star Wars, which was interesting. He brought someone along, a friend as well, who really wasn't interested and she said she might leave halfway through. But she did not. So that's, you know, something. <laughs> <laughs> she just came to hang out and then she's like, oh, this movie looks long. I'll probably go halfway. And then we brought a mutual friend of yours and I, Alex Avna, um, or Avna Levine, as I like to call her. Uh, she came along. Massive Harry Potter fan. Just a huge Harry Potter fan. I think actually, if you, if you go onto our Weird Geeks iTunes and like if you search Weird Geeks and Harry Potter quiz, she comes up in quite an early episode and we do a great Harry Potter quiz on her where she fucking, she knew what page a bit of dialogue was changed. For like she's such an insane <laughs> Harry Potter fan. It's hilarious. But this, it turned out, I'm sitting down next to her, okay, and we're in the cinema. I'm really hyped and we're in a super screen, which is basically like the 2D version of the IMAX there. It's not quite as big as an IMAX, but it is very close. It's a very big screen and you kind of like turn your head to look at things. But really, really cool sound, like very, very loud, very big. And... I'm sitting there really, really super excited. The cinema wasn't packed. Like, it was not sold out. It was maybe half full, uh, which for a midnight launch, it can really go either way, even for a big film, you know? Um, but the, the four, the like, uh, what do you call it? The lobby was packed full of people because everyone was going to the 3D screenings. Like, everyone was piling into the 3D IMAX screenings. No one was really going to this 2D super screen screening. Uh, but people were dressed up and, you know, all of the normal fun stuff and taking photos and goofing around and talking to strangers and stuff like that. And so I'm sitting down next to Avna and I turn to her and then I say to her, did you see the last one? And she says, Al, I've never seen a Star Wars movie. Wow. I was like, what? And there's even a guy behind us as well went, uh, what? <laughs> Just started talking to these two guys. So yeah, at the end of this, I want to give her opinion as well. Because I thought that these are very, I mean, I know Christina's eyes are fairly fresh, but they have been blackened 
now with uh with the oh. previous films. True. <laughs> I'm no longer a newbie. Exactly. Whereas even though it was completely new. And as I was watching this film, it occurred to me, hey, if you're a Harry Potter fan, Star Wars is kinda like Harry Potter in space. So mm-hmm. maybe you'd like it, you know? Um but yeah, I'll reveal her feelings and everybody else's at the end of the movie. But that was the context I saw it. And then I actually went again last night to see it. Uh, with Haruka because she hadn't seen it and I really wanted to I really wanted to see it again before doing this podcast because I um yeah had some conflicting feelings that we'll get into <laughs> alright then so a little context this film like many Star Wars films before it in the Disney universe at least has a bit of a mottled history uh, the most mottled you might say so we nearly got a young Han Solo do you remember you guys with Revenge of the Sith it was originally meant to be in there in mm-hmm. the, uh, on the Chewbacca planet of, what's it called? Kashyyyk. Uh, Kashyyyk, thank you. Yeah, he was going to be the young 10-year-old Han Solo orphaned and being raised by Chewbacca. That was the original intention there. Oh, how cute by that would have been. <laughs> you get, look at Alex shaking his head. He was going to help oh. Obi-Wan Kenobi locate and find General Grievous, uh, but that didn't happen. So anyway, so Disney knew they wanted to do a solo film, and they actually originally brought in Josh Trank. Do you remember this, Alex? Fucking ages ago now. He's a director of Chronicle, and mm-hmm. then he went on to do the Fantastic Four sort of reboot. And he was actually signed on. He was working on it. But he wasn't doing this movie. He was going to do the Boba Fett. That was going to be the first one that they did in their anthology movies. But then he had overwhelmingly bad press for his recent film, Fantastic Four, at the time. And he dropped out saying, quote, I want to do something original after this because I've been living under public scrutiny, as you've seen for the last four years of my life. And it's not healthy for me right now. But other rumors suggested he was just a dick and they fired him. So, <laughs> who knows? He does have a bit of a... He's quite notorious for being a dick. Can I also add that prior to the Disney takeover, uh, George Lucas had already started development on a young Han Solo film. Had he really? And he had hired Lawrence Kasdan to write the screenplay, but then he went on to write The Force Awakens and left it to his son, uh, Jonathan to finish. So, oh, so his credit in this is he is then is based off of his original idea. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, interesting. So Lucas did have a slight say in this in some weird way, maybe. I guess, sort yeah. Of. Who knows? Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So yeah, just Frank left. Ka- Kathleen Kennedy was confirmed to saying that they did change the order of the spinoffs at the last minute, switching to the 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 Rogue One and then the Solo and then before getting into Boba Fett next. Apparently, but we can get to that at the end of the podcast. So then they signed on new directors. They brought in Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Now, these guys were at that point developing the Flash movie, which has been delayed so many times. Who knows if that's happening still? But that was, yeah, sorry. They're the guys who directed Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, the Lego movie, and 21 and 22 Jump Street. So these are goofballs. This is like frat boy humor. Have you guys seen any of their movies? I'm, I love their animated stuff, not the live action stuff. No, I haven't. I've seen, yeah, Lego Movie and the 21 Jump Street films. How do you feel about them? I liked the first one and I liked maybe the first half of the second one. They're just goofy and funny. I, thought, I think the Lego Movie is genuinely brilliant. Like, I love the Lego Movie. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually really like Cloudy with Meatballs a lot. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I've heard um, you mention that. Yeah, that one's fun. Yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. 21 Jump Street was all right. I like this, I like the scene where they're just tripping balls. But <laughs> you don't like the uh, you don't like the Channing. 
I love Channing Tatum. Yeah. But I don't know. I thought the film was fine. I love Channing Tatum. He's great. <laughs> Are you mocking me or is that from the heart? <laughs> it's from the heart. Okay. <laughs> um, but these it's are like- from the magic mic heart. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, these are, I mean, they were weird. You remember when this was announced, Alex? Like, I think we talked about it on a normal podcast back then, but these are weird fucking people to announce for a Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. And particularly when Kathleen Kennedy had, you know, infamously had some troubles a bit with Rogue One and brought in another director to, of course, correct that potentially, the tone. And then they were firing the director of part nine, which was going to be Josh Trevorrow. John, what's his name? Colin Trevorrow from Jurassic World. So here we had them like bringing in very strange people to make this movie. And you're like, well, they generally tend to do improv. They don't tend to do normal scripts. So very strange. But they left The Flash to work on this. They shot almost the entire movie. I think they were like two weeks out, weren't they, from completing. When suddenly they left. Hi. They, they cited, irric- uh, how do you say it? Irreconci- uh, irreconcilable, is that how you say it? Irreconcilable. 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 That's what you do. Irreconcilable. Differences. Irreconcilable. I can't speak. Shit. Irreconcilable differences with producer Kathleen Kennedy and co-writer Lawrence Kazdan, who, yeah, is the son. Oh, sorry. Lawrence is the father, isn't it? Lawrence is, yeah, the main Empire Strikes Back man. Um, So they left the film. And then Kathleen Kennedy brought in old, well, he's worked with, what's his name, George Lucas quite a, oh, quite a lot, both as an actor and as a, as a comrade with films, as Ron Howard, who everybody will know from, great, well, he's actually Richie from The Happy Days, and he's a huge director, Oscar-winning director. So this is the first Star Wars film directed by an Oscar-winning director. And he did films like Willow, Apollo 13, I think he won the Oscar for Apollo 13, didn't he? Never heard of it. Uh, <laughs> Ransom uh, I fucking love Ransom man that's a cool film uh, The Da Vinci Code Frost Nixon In the Heart of the Sea like increasingly 90s like he was great in the 90s and now it's like increasingly just still feels like 90s movies for me he's, like, he's just yeah. such a Hollywood plastic director you know it's like not much voice going on so completely different you got like these goofball guys who make like frat house comedy movies and just surrealism and then you've got this guy who couldn't be more fucking middle of the road. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong with that? Like, that's how Ron Howard is, isn't he? He's a middle of the road guy. Yeah. I um, think you're, yeah, saying he's like a 90s director is pretty, pretty apt. Yeah. Which is fine. I like 90s films. But nowadays, you expect something a bit different, you know? Mm. So, yeah, he's brought in. And then it was reported, uh, well, he's brought in in June 2017. It was reported by October 2017 that he has reshot more than 80% of the movie. <laughs> which is a lot a lot of the movie so they they basically ended up with two movies in the can with presumably the same story but maybe you know one's based a lot more around the original script and the other one's going a bit more freeform because the, the, a lot of the cast were saying they were given a lot of yeah ad-libbing privileges with the original directors they got to you know sort of vibe off of each other and do some do some of that improv and then, yeah, like a Ron Howard version, which is obviously going to be more by the books and here's what you get. So two very different versions of the movie and then an editor probably left crying with what you do with all this footage. Mm. We're very happy. There's more footage yeah. than you normally get. Mm. Yeah, he was picked over. Apparently, Lawrence Kasdan was considered to direct and Joe Johnston as well, who, who did Jurassic Park 3 and he fills in for Spielberg quite often. So, 
very, very, very weird history. And I think that's going to play into our conversation about this movie quite a lot. Written, as we said, by Jonathan Kazdan, who's done some Freaks and Geeks, Dawson's Creek, and In the Land of Women. I don't want to wait for this life and Lawrence Kasdan, who, of course, wrote The Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Return of the Jedi, The Bodyguard, The Force Awakens, and his greatest film, Dreamcatcher. Can I also just add that, um, just to go back to Dawson's Creek, Al and I will be doing Please. a Dawson's Creek retrospective. We'll go through every episode. Can confirm. Can no confirm. way, are you? <laughs> every episode, no, secret. every not. season. It's a secret. I would totally Lie. fucking do that. I would totally do that. <laughs> do you know? Do, do you reckon? You know, there's that West Wing ep- uh, p- podcast that people love, where there's like a new West Wing episode every week that they they review, and there's one of that do Star Wars where they review every minute of Star Wars. So each podcast is just reviewing one minute of Star Wars. Nice gold. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, do you reckon anyone's done Dawson's Creek? Because I would fucking do that shit, man. I think there is an opportunity there. We'll talk about this. <laughs> DP, they got a new cinematographer here, Bradford Young. He's a pretty up and coming, cool director. Uh, DP, I mean, he's done Ain't Them Body Saints. He did Porn Sacrifice, A Most Violent Year, but he just did Arrival with Dennis Villeneuve, a uh, very stylish film. And music by John Powell. However, he ha- is credited as adapting John Williams's music. But he's done loads of stuff, a lot of cartoon stuff. He did Face Off. But he did Ants, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, X-Men Last Stand, Kung Fu Panda, Hancock, How to Train Your Dragon, and Jason Bourne. Christina looked happy about something there. What was it? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> oh, forget it. Starring Alden Ehrenreich. Yeah? That's close. Yeah. It sounds good. Aaron. Aaron. <laughs> Starring Alden Erich. and his hand. Aaron. I don't know. Aaron Rick. Aaron Rick. Juno Suetamo. God damn it. Make it easy, guys. That's Chewbacca. Woody Harrelson as Beckett. Emilia Clark as Kira. Is that you say her name? Kira? Yeah, yeah. Kira, yeah. Kira. Uh, Donald Just Glover. Just Kira, okay. All right, all right. Uh, Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. Tandy Newton as Val. Phoebe Waller-Bridge as L337. Paul Bettany as Dryden Voss. John Favreau as Rio Durant. Aaron Kellyman as Infus Nest. Warwick Davis returning as Weasel. Unmasked. As we'll get to it, as Maul, Ray Park returning with the voice of San Witwer. But yeah, we'll get what? to that later on. Maul? <laughs> <laughs> Just plain Maul. I must have missed that bit. Yeah, so Alden, apparently he was the very first person to audition for Miller and um, what's his name? The other one. <laughs> For those two. For the original directors, he was the first person to audition, and then they sat through all the other people, which included Dave Franco, Aaron nah. Taylor Johnson. Oh, maybe. Miles Teller. Mm. Rami mm. Malik. I couldn't see it. Scott Eastwood. Yeah. And of course, Chris Pratt. <laughs> For real? Chris Pratt? <laughs> can you imagine can you imagine if Chris Pratt was both Star Lord and Han Solo? <laughs> It's like they're basically the same character. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like in his 30s. Well, in, like yeah. he would have been. He's, he's yeah. older than. Yeah. Yes. Chris yeah. Pratt. I just looked him up. No. You have to look well, up Chris Pratt. No. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? It's Chris Pratt. You mean what the fuck is right with me? No. Chris <laughs> Pratt is a. You don't just. No, that's not how sentences work. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm young. bad with names, you know. Fair enough. I forget. 
the only other never have kids. The only other one that I looked up was Christian Bale was considered for Woody Harrelson's role in this movie at one point. Oh, it would wow. have been very different. Oh yeah, I could see that. Yes. So that's about it, I think, for that stuff. Yeah, I think so. All right. Yeah. Just want to get into it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's Could you just say very quickly, actually, sorry, actually, actually, you know what? Just to stall this even longer. For people who are new to this, I want to know like how we were feeling going in, because I think this is a film more than any other. I think when oh, we yeah. went to The Force Awakens, people were, you know, some people were already grumpy and some people were already super excited. And I think with Rogue One, there's a different type of anticipation. But I think more than any other, this is the one, right? This is like recasting a classic character that people love from an actor that people love and doing a story that not many people really were asking for. Like, I feel like people were ready, going and ready for a fight with this film, you know? Mm. Mm. And then, yeah, all the stuff with the two directors. So how, mm. how were you guys mm. feeling? Like, Christina, you seem like an open book. You're just like, were you ready to be grumpy or were you going in just open-armed? Well, I was pretty excited because the actors that were in it, but then you made me rewatch The Last Jedi. <laughs> and I did not make you. After that, because I had to watch this movie just like a couple days after rewatching that, I was pretty grumpy and I was worried that I was going to hate it and it okay. was going to be three hours. Of <laughs> your pace. you know what? So that's how. So I was worried. I was like, I was excited, and then after watching the last Jedi, I was just like, oh man, I hope this is a good. Yeah, I think you raise a good point. I think even people who might have been positive, there are a lot of people who didn't like the last Jedi, so people were set up to be grumpy. And we should also say, all these Disney films have been coming out every Christmas. This is the first one to come out in May. Uh, it's on the anniversary, isn't it, of the first film or something? And it's six months since the last Star Wars film, which is weird. Like, that's not that long. It's not that long. No. It's not. Uh, Alex. But see, oh. I liked The Last Jedi. But the second time, it, I just, it's not one to, it's one to watch one time in the theater. You shouldn't watch it ever <laughs> and again. <then> burn. <laughs> <laughs> um, you raised very good points. Alex. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's pretty well documented throughout this retrospective as well as some of our uh, regular weekly podcasts that I was against this film from the very, very beginning, vocally against this film, very vocally against this film. And then when the trailers came out, unlike the other films where I stopped watching them or at least tried not to watch them, I, I, I allowed myself to watch these ones. And I remember thinking that there were some really impressive things visually and it looked yeah, it, it sort of piqued my interest, but I was still like, no, nah, I don't want this film. But then I started getting this sense of like, the trailer actually looked really great, but in all of those trailers, I never got this sense that it was a story about Han Solo. And there was a part of me that was like, I just, this should just be a new Star Wars story with new characters. Like, it doesn't have to have the Solo thing attached to it. And then I kind of had the opposite thing with seeing The Last Jedi and revisiting that and just- yeah, really sort of settling in a place of not liking that film. I sort of, I feel like my, my, my anticipation for Solo softened slightly. And I kind of was excited, I guess, because it's a Star Wars film. 
but I was also feeling a lot of fatigue because Disney's just putting them out so often now. There's there's less excitement and I was feeling very fatigued, but I, I went into it much more open-minded than I had been in all of the build-up. I was like, okay, I'm just going to give it a chance. There were things in the trailers that I thought visually looked really cool. I'm going to be open-minded about Alden Ehrenreich and not attach his performance to to Harrison Ford. And yeah, and that's it. I went into it just actually being very open-minded and and hoping that I would see something better than The Last Jedi. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I was completely open-minded. Like when they first said this, yeah, like you said, and we did a podcast and I think you were like, nope, fuck it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to mention this film ever again. You were so angry. And I was like, well, this sounds stupid because I don't need to know anything more about Han Solo. I'm quite happy. But I was also like, you know, whatever, as long as it's fun. But when I heard about the director stuff, that rubs me the wrong way. It really does. Like the way Disney keep dealing with the directors mm. with these films pisses me off. And with this one more than ever, like getting that to happen was kind of really annoying. And then The Last Jedi was a real mess. I mean, in Rogue One, I could tell stuff that was reshot for sure. In The Last Jedi, nothing was reshot, but that felt like a mess to me. Like it felt like a tonal mess. And so with this one, I was like, yes, this has to be a mess because 80% of it was reshot, but a completely different style of a director. So I did go in and into it with that burden and then also the burden of thinking, why, if you're going to tell a young Han Solo, let's do him, yeah, as a teenager. Like why do him as almost the same age as he is when we find him. I think he's meant to be younger, but the actor's basically the same age as Harrison Ford was when he first played it. So that did piss me off because like not even in my head can I pretend he's going to grow up into Harrison Ford. You can't, mm. you know, because he's almost the same age. Another thing I was trying to think of in the lead up to this was obviously now Disney is trying to, with the Star Wars franchise, follow the Marvel roadmap that they created for the MCU. For sure. And I was trying to kind of, I didn't end up looking it up. I should have actually. I was trying to look at which was the first Marvel film that really, where they really got it right and how many films into the MCU was that? Would you say it was Iron Man? Like where it was just like they kind of finally found their feet, found the right tone and it sort of took off. Because this is what, this is at the fourth Disney Star Wars film now? Force Awakens. Oh, to like settle with what they're trying to like do moving forward. You yeah, mean? do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Well, I feel like for Disney, I mean, I feel the Force Awakens, they kind of did a good job, but then they shuffled it with Rogue One and then panicked immediately. And since then, it's been sort of a constant reshuffling of the decks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Marvel, the MCU, as soon as the MCU started, Iron Man 1 was a huge success critically and publicly. And then, yeah, it had a misstep for the general public with Incredible Hulk and then, you know, got itself back again. And it wasn't until Phase 2 that it you know, Avengers forward in phase two, it became gangbusters, but you know, Mm -hmm. it was, um, yeah, they had a very confident start, but they are still in charge of their own stuff. Like Disney don't interfere with them very much. Whereas with Lucasfilm, this is definitely, this is Kathleen Kennedy and Disney's ship for sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I know what you're saying, but yeah, so so just to be clear, I went in ready for a fight, but we had just done our last Jedi podcast. And I was like, I think my last words were, I've got to go guys. I got to run to see solo and I just want it to be fun. Because The Last Jedi I found mm-hmm. to be such a slog that third yep. time. I was like, I just want it to be fun. And then at least I can be like, well, yeah, that was fine. All right, yep. Alex, good luck with you, buddy. Let's see how we can do this. Yeah, thank you. So as Al sort of mentioned at the start, this we're going to work our way through the film. Probably not as in great detail as I have in the past, <laughs> but we'll see how we go. So like Rogue One, this film... Still opens with the Lucasfilm logo and Once Upon a Time in a Galaxy Far, Far Away. However, 
Yeah, like Rogue One, it doesn't have the famous Star Wars crawl, which they are now just keeping to the main trilogy, it would seem. It does, though, have what is essentially a crawl, (laughs) but not a crawl. It has a title sequence that that says, in a lawless time, crime syndicates uh, syndicates compete for resources, food, medicine, and hyperfuel. On the shipbuilding planet of Corellia, the (laughs) And hyperfuel! Yeah, I thought that was really funny. It was hyperfuel. It's so weird. Like, never heard that letter? term before. Maybe it's been mentioned. I don't know. Um, on the shipbuilding planet of uh, Karelia, the foul Lady Proxima forces runaways into a life of crime in exchange for shelter and protection. On these mean streets, a young man fights for survival but yearns to fly among the stars. So not a crawl, but a series of <laughs> of basically pointless. Yeah, like this is pointless because at least the other ones they set up the context of like, oh, here's where you people were last time. Here's Mm -hmm. what we're setting up this time, and here's the context of the galaxy. Whereas in this one, it's like, oh, there's some lizard lady in a pond, and she's you know like, (laughs) like there's like, and then the last sentence is basically, isn't that like their synopsis for just solo on IMDb or something? It's just like, yeah, yeah, young guy, rogue guy. (laughs) It's like, it's I don't know. I read that stuff and I was just like. This is so dumb. Because <laughs> yeah, it, it, no, like, it, it only responds to the first like 10 minutes of the film. Yeah, it really uh, was kind of unnecessary. They could have just started. So we do start on Corellia and immediately we're with the young Han Solo who's being chased by some heavies and he gets in a speeder and speeds off. And within 30 seconds, now I called <laughs> oh, this in our me. last Jedi podcast, oh, I said those- you? Han Solo dice. I have a feeling they're going to emphasize those <laughs> in the next film. Not within, oh. not even thirty seconds. We have a t- close tight shot of the Han Solo dice <laughs> in the first thirty seconds. Right. And I'm sorry, guys, but since we're doing this differently, spoilers. The last shot of the film as well. Dice is fucking. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was like sitting there, and as soon as it came up, I just started laughing. And even turned to me, like, "What are you laughing about?" I was like, "Oh, don't worry about it." <laughs> Yeah, I think I, uh, I think I had a chuckle as well, and and the dice was everywhere, man. The, the dice was everywhere, particularly <laughs> in this first like twenty minutes. Yep, they took every opportunity to get a close shot of those dice, just so we knew. That- <laughs> do, you, do you reckon they reshot it? Because they were just like they saw the backlash in the last Jedi. I'm like, fuck you guys. The dice are important to <laughs> just yeah. keep like more. Just put every shot we have, guys, of the dice in this yeah. fucking film. They were very. It was a little overkill. A little nice, overkill. Nice overkill. They were very heavy-handed with that. So anyway, uh, Han Solo Damn, gets chased we- through in a speeder. Eventually, Have we had he the gets- title yet, though, for the Pardon? film. Have we had the title for the film Solo? Ah, uh, yeah. Sorry. So after the, so as the chase begins, um, and he's speeding off. I think we see the dice. I can't. This the order might be slightly wrong. Then the the um, title Solo comes up as a kind of holographic. Yeah, I just want to say as well, because the weird thing about it is that, because you remember Rogue One was called, they trailered it as Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Mm-hmm. And then when you saw the film, it only said Rogue One, and everyone was yeah. like, oh, they ditched the Star Wars story. They don't here. This yeah. is how confused they are. This one says Solo, a Star Wars story. Yeah. So is Rogue One not a Star Wars story, but this is? Uh, who the fuck knows? <laughs> it's such a weird decision. It's like, either just call it Solo. They just really... I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. It's it was weird. Just, it was a weird decision. Someone out. had to have said okay with that. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. I didn't notice. I mean, somebody was like, did they put it on, on Rogue One? And someone said, I don't remember. Should we check? 
Nah, just, <laughs> yeah. nah, just put it on. Yeah, <laughs> they exactly. probably did it. It's on yeah, the post, like, though. It must be on the film. posters. Yeah, exactly. I went back to fucking check. It was like, nope, just Rogue One. That's funny. Yeah, so we immediately get that and we realize that, yeah, we're on this shipbuilding world of Karelia. Han Solo escapes the guards and he kind of runs through these slums where there's all these orphan children. And that's where we meet Amelia Clark for the first time as Kira. And he tells her that he has, uh, that he's stolen like this small vial of coaxium and she's super stoked and they're clearly young and in love. And basically with kissy, that, kissy. they can buy their passage off the planet or, or buy a ship for themselves. I'm going to guess right now that Christina's pretty happy at this point in the film. Yeah. There's kissy kissies going on. Yeah. I love a love story. You know that, guys. How, yeah, I'm actually liking Amelia Clark from the get-go. Yeah, I like her a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, this is, okay, this, this is my first interesting, uh, I have many weird feelings with this film, and my first weird feeling is I hate Amelia Clark. Like, I hate her in Game of Thrones so much. I think she's a terrible, terrible actress, and in the clips and trailers I've seen of the other films she's been in, I hate her. I think she's terrible. In this film, she's totally decent. Like, she's totally, like, I went in, like, that was my big grumpy thing, was, like, fucking Amelia Clark's in this. She's going to annoy me for two and a half hours. She's not. She's totally Mm -hmm. cool in this. Like, from the action stuff to the drama stuff to the romance stuff, I thought she was totally convincing. And if nothing else, that was my big, like, oh, wow. All right. She's not terrible. And I feel like in this opening as well, she she plays young really well. Oh my god, I was so shocked. Yeah, she looked like she could be a teenager in there. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really. Like it was convincing. so believable, actually. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I thought she was great, but I always think she's great. So yeah, incorrect. So, fuck she's you, Al. <laughs> she's terrible. Yeah, Game of whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I haven't really watched a lot of Game of Thrones and haven't really paid much attention to any of the films that she's been in, but. Yeah, from the get-go, I was like, she, cool. She is now great. the 11th actress from Game of Thrones to appear in this franchise. Imagine how many are going to be in the uh, one that the Game of Thrones guys are going to create. <laughs> yeah, nobody. <laughs> yeah. That would be hilarious. So, yeah, they're, they're all excited that they've got this opportunity to escape. And, yeah, I think we also have a moment here. So, so obviously, I'm not going to... I couldn't write down some lines... Like that stood it's out. Okay. That's so trying. That's fine. You're okay. I think, I think Han fine. Solo says something here. Like he makes the first comment about you know running away f- from the armed guards, like stealing something and running away, and that sort of becomes a recurrent theme about yeah, him. He's like a good always, runner. Yeah, he always runs. Like that's always. That's his, what we're always saying. That's what we're plan. saying with Poe and stuff. It's like no fucking Han Solo knows when to run. Yeah, that's part of his so charm. Then, the goons and heavies come into the the slums and they capture Han Solo and then they take him to the lair of Lady Proxima, who is this light sensitive slug thing. <laughs> what do you she guys think? From of, the dark what do you guys crystal. think of her? Yeah, she was. Uh, it was okay. <laughs> it was good that it didn't last that long, you know. Yeah, yeah. Her voice was weird for sure. Like she had a very It almost reminded voice. me of like the Little Mermaid, you know. <laughs> yeah, it had a bit of that for sure. It was yeah. very cartoony. That was just pretty cool. I kind of liked her. I liked that they immediately had a, a proper like creature like in here. Yeah, yeah. that T- was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like tell you that what, like it. honestly, like my immediate feelings with this film, other than oh, there's the dice, was that it's, and I don't think this is just because I've been grading all week, but maybe partly because of that. But the look of the film is very, very strange. Like when I started watching, I was like, oh, it's all very dark. 
mm-hmm. um, and very interesting sort of colors and grading to it. And when I talked, I was talking to, yeah, like Alberto afterwards, and he's a big fan of this DP, and he then went and read interviews with him, and he lit this in a very unusual way. Like, it's lit so that pretty much for the whole film, everything in the background is lit, and there's no highlights on the characters. So they weren't yeah, really cool. illuminating characters. And it's very strange, because it means you're kind of like peering through dark to see characters' faces a bit yeah. when they're in the dark, but the background has all these bubbles of lights that kind of do make the world seem alive. Yeah. And so, honestly, incredibly bold-looking film. Mm-hmm. with its grade like very very bold yeah i really liked how dark it was and it made everything a lot more um interesting and mysterious for me mm-hmm. and actually i really also loved the way that this film started you know because it it didn't open up in space yeah with like a, <laughs> a, a battle. Big space battle yeah space battle so it was so much more fun mm-hmm. for me this opening yeah, yeah, like you do not like your space. I, fe- I felt the same. Like I was already there was no Death Star, guys. <laughs> no Death Star. <laughs> From the get go, I was already yeah, really loving the yeah the design and look of it all. There was a part of me, this sort of I guess ultra nerdy part that was trying to bridge the gaps in design between because this is obviously set between the prequels and the beginning of A New Hope. So there was I was trying to just find. Like the evolution of stuff. Yeah, the, the evolution of it, but I felt that that was kind of missing sometimes. Maybe in a second mm-hmm. viewing, I might notice, but but overall, I thought the look was really great. I thought the creatures and characters, it was already, like, yeah, from the get-go, just really diverse and interesting. Well, what about Alden, then? Because he's the big contentious thing. Like, were you immediately okay with him, or was it immediately, oh, this is going to take a while to get used to? Again, I like I said before, I didn't, I detached myself from Harrison Ford and Han Solo. Okay. This is a different universe. I was just watching him and just kind of just taking it in and and not letting myself kind of link it to that too much, especially to start with. So, yeah, at this point, he gets threatened by Proxima and gets accused of stealing the uh, coaxium, uh, which he denies. And somehow he he shoots open a a window, which brings light into this lair which burns her skin and she goes back into the uh, the pool and he escapes and we get another big chase scene where him and um, Kira get in a, a, a speeder and head towards like a, a departure ship thing, airport. I forgot. The <laughs> train point. station the in station. downtown. Yeah. This is definitely though a Lord, a Lord and Miller moment though because yeah, he picks up a rock that he has and That's then he right. pretends it's a thermal That's grenade. Right. And then he uses his mouth just to go click, click to pretend it's like arm. <laughs> and it's such a Chris Pratt, like Star-Lord thing to do. Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. This, there are these weird moments like this where you're like, yep, that was definitely from the original shoot. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it just feels ad-libbed. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of charming. I forgot about that, but it made me laugh. There were a few moments like that that made me laugh out loud. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> yeah, the jokes here are already better. Yeah, but they're very different. Like they're not. They're just plain better. Yeah, you know, it's it is different. I don't know if I laughed out loud at any point myself in the film, but it was like <laughs> there was I don't know. There's like a more real sort of charm to them. I feel it doesn't feel too forced or anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they race towards the ship depot. <laughs> Well, I'm going blank Jeez, on what we've it's We've established called. train station, all right? <laughs> train station where they say, where Han and Kira decided they can use the coaxium to bribe an Imperial officer in exchange for passage on an outgoing transport. 
So they get there. It's there's they're still being chased by Proxima's goons, but at the station there's also a bunch of stormtroopers. Again, here this is where I was looking for that kind of bridging of are they going to be somewhere in between clone troopers and stormtroopers? But they were already like Empire style stormtroopers in this. Yeah, that's true. All right, nerd. So thanks, guys, <laughs> for bridging the gap, lazy. Anyway, <laughs> so they bribe the Imperial officer and she opens the door. And as they're running through, just before Kira can get through, she's grabbed by some people and she can't get through the gate. The guard doesn't let her through and she gets caught. And Han Solo is a bachelor. He's a bachelor. He's on his own, but he vows to return for her. And so while he's trying to figure out how to get passage out of there, he sees on a television a sort of 1940s-style uh, war <laughs> propaganda video. Uh, <laughs> commercial to join the Empire, which also has the classic John Williams Empire theme yeah. playing to it. <laughs> what the fuck? I mean, how do you- Because that was a weird moment for me because, like, hang on, this score we've been hearing for decades wasn't score. This was the actual- This is the music that they listened to? Yeah. <laughs> that was a really weird moment. I didn't know how weird. I thought about that. I thought it was kind of cheeky. I kind of liked it, but yeah, it was interesting that they ended up using that. Like it kind of breaks. <laughs> it was strange. Oh, Apparently, there was a cool like Darth Vader recruitment poster there that I missed, but Haruka said she oh, really cool. liked. But yeah, I missed it both times. I don't know how she got it. Cool. There's actually, I remember a few months ago at the last bookstore here in downtown LA, there's an amazing Star Wars book called like Star Wars Posters and Propaganda. And it's like from all of the films up until I think The Force Awakens. And it's these fake mock kind of posters made by the Galactic Republic, the Rebels, the nice. Empire, cool. the Trade Federation of like all these kind of propaganda slash recruitment posters. And it's, it's fucking cool. It's really, really cool. That is cool. So anyway, he sees that and then decides that the, the safest way that he's going to get out of Karelia is if he immediately signs up to the Imperial Navy. And he obviously wants to be a... a a pilot, so he goes and says, I want to join the Imperial Navy, I want to become a flight cadet. And the man, the Imperial <laughs> officer says, Oh god. He says, What's your name? And he's like, Khan. Oh. He's like, What about your last name? Well, who's who's your family? And he's like, I don't have any family. So the officer thinks for a second and goes, Solo. Han <laughs> solo. <laughs> that bit felt really flat for me. I felt very disappointed that was that, that was that, the was reveal. everybody applauding that scene <laughs> by any chance? <laughs> So, guys, how did you feel about his name reveal? I thought it was pretty cheesy. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I was going with it. You're just yeah. happy it's not The Last Jedi. Admit it. That's just the way you're just like, yeah. there's no Sith Lords. There's no Jedi running yeah. around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, that was pretty cheesy. But anyway, he gets, he's accepted immediately. And uh, whereas we, I may assume that he goes off to training. And then we skip to three years later. And Han is in the middle of a battlefield on some planet. There's chaos everywhere. Infantry are getting shot and killed. Uh, there's this just smoke. You really can't really cool. see anything. Pardon? It's this first shot is really cool. Like, it's yeah, really cool. I really, like, like, really liked it. He looks really panicky, and they said they based it on World War One, apparently. But like, you've got the um, not the not the Atat Walkers. What are the other ones? The little ones. Oh, whatever. the ATSC. Yeah. Yeah, the ATST is like stomping nearly on him, sort of thing, and it's fucking. Mm -hmm. It looks, yeah, terrifying. 
Yeah. yeah, it looked like a very scary war. Yeah, yeah. it's great. I, and it's so weird. Like, yeah. Is this in the EU? Was he in the original EU? Was he, was he signed up to the Imperial yeah, Army? he was an Imperial officer, yep. Yeah. Right, interesting. Because, yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. And I kind of like that. It's like, oh, cool, he's fighting for the baddies here, but he's all snarky about it and, you know, constantly sort of answering back about their motives and stuff. And it's kind yeah. of, it's nice. I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, that was kind of an immediate... It's, it felt like an immediate throwback to Rogue One as far as choices of like, okay, we're going to make this grittier and darker and make, make the war parts of it feel more real yeah. and the stakes to feel higher. And it was gritty and they were like in trenches. It was cool. Yeah, it was really cool. So anyway, like all these people are getting shot around him and then I think one of the commanders gets shot and he catches, he catches up with these officers and they're like, you're going to be, it's Woody Harrelson. And they're like, you're the new captain. And he's like, I guess I am. And kind of chuckles it off. And then they get in the trenches and Han immediately realizes that Woody Harrelson and his group of soldiers are just posing as Imperial soldiers and that they're actually a gang of criminals. And so Woody Harrelson is Tobias Beckett. We have Tandy Newton as Val and John Favreau as the voice of Rio Durant. I didn't realize that was John Favreau at all until I looked it up just for this podcast. Yeah, no me idea. too. Me no too. Idea. So Han kind of wanting an escape route out of the out of the war, war. and out of the Imperial <laughs> Army. So basically what we've found out is that he's been kicked out of the flight academy because he would open his mouth too much and He's got a mind of his own. Yeah, got a mind of his own. So he's kicked out and now he's an Imperial soldier, but he wants out of that. So he tries to blackmail the criminals to take him with him, but Beckett immediately gets him arrested for desertion and he gets thrown in to a pit to be fed. To the beast. To a monster. I did laugh at, I tell a lie then. I did laugh at this moment when they say, take him to the monster. Or is it a beast? Or the, the beast. beast. I don't know. The beast. The beast. Yeah, take him to the beast. And then he's like, wait, there's a beast? <laughs> that bit did make me laugh because they're like in the middle of this pretty serious looking war and they're like, take him to the beast. And he's yeah. like, what? So uh, he's cool. dropped into this um, muddy pit and he's chained to a pole. One leg's chained to his leg and another leg's changed to something else, which starts dragging him down into this cave. And who should emerge but a very muddy and soggy Chewie. Yay! Okay, I did not expect Chewie to come out. I thought it was great. I thought muddy <laughs> Chewie looked really, really cool. I thought it was so cool. And then when when um, Han uh, started speaking, uh, started speaking Chewbacca, what is it? Uh, the language yeah. is called, Mookie. I had it here somewhere, I wrote it down. Yeah, he starts speaking Shiriwook. <laughs> is that Shiri-wook? a dialect of Wook? Shiriwook, dialect of Wook, Shiriwook. Yeah, yeah. You like I that? Thought it was, I thought it was great. I thought this is a great way that to bit, introduce the two. That bit in my cinema had some nervous laughter from people that had a definite... Oh, people weren't cool with that in my cinema really? for sure. Really? Were you cool sure. with it? What did you think? So here's here, my problem was, and we're about to get into another bit because he's gonna like get his blaster in a minute as well. But we've had him like get his dice, which apparently are important. I never realized. But there you go. So we got mm-hmm. his dice. We got him getting his name, <laughs> which was yep. like, mm-hmm. do I really need to see him get his fucking name? That doesn't seem like unnecessary. And although that means we don't know his real name, which is maybe it's like. Han Skywalker and it's all been incest all along <laughs> and then we saw him meeting Chewie and then pretty quickly after this we're going to get him doing that stupid line where he's like 
Your name's Chewbacca? Oh, I'm not going to say that. That's too long. It's three yep. syllables, dude. Get yep. over it. Chewie's two. Like, fucking hell. And, yeah, then he's going to get his blaster. And I was like, this is all in the first sort of half an hour of the movie. I was like, you've just, like, dragged me through all the Han Solo lore. Sorry, Han Solo lore, because he's going he's gonna to correct how to say his name. At a breakneck speed, which to me is kind of jarring. Like, all of those things are, like... Just ticking all the boxes are like, well, here's all the things we know about him. Let's introduce all that very quickly. And I get why they do it. Well, I don't get the solo thing <laughs> or the dice. All right. I get why they do Chewie. Chewie's the one thing. If they hadn't done the other things, I would have been cooler with this moment because this moment's awesome. Chewie's cool. He looks awesome. Yeah. There's a physicality here to him that, he's, that this actor's not had in any of these new ones that yeah. I love. Chewie rage is pretty awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. The fight between them's awesome. It's nice and muddy. I don't like, I, no, I don't like him speaking Wookiee. And I, I yep. like that. I he, love it. And I don't like that he just speaks one line of Wookiee, and then Chewie's like, "Oh, let's be friends." It's like mm-hmm. it's yeah. this is someone who but he just never speaks Wookiee again. I know. Thank fuck. Yeah. I, I was like, "Is this going to be the movie?" And he's just like speaking Wookiee. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew that he was going to speak Wookiee leading up to it, just because of a couple of interviews I've se- I, I saw with him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I loved I loved uh, Chewie rage and just yeah, like you said, seeing this physical physical side of Chewie that we haven't seen before, which was really awesome. Yeah, the speaking Wookiee thing just felt unnecessary because, yeah, it, it just felt like such a novelty that happened once and then was quickly forgotten about and could have easily played the same moment. Like, I think his first thing was like he responds to Chewie. Chewie says something. And he's like, yeah, I speak Wookiee and then starts doing it again. It's just like mm-hmm. you made the point that you could understand it and then just play it how it's always played in the movies. Like, Chewie speaks his language and you respond, but in yeah. responding, give the audience. No, I agree. I think you should have let like him know that he saying. understood it. Yeah. It, all you need to do is let him, like, he could have, like, answered back and then we could have had subtitles for Chewie or whatever, like, or had a response where it's like he can answer it saying, yeah, he understands. But then Chewie still doesn't want to be his friend. And then he uses Chewie's rage to break him out. And then Chewie yeah. decides to, like, you know, sort of go with him because, oh, he's actually freed him. Like, it yeah. was just way too quick. It was like one sentence and, oh, we're buddies. Yeah, so that was just that was too much for me. I liked it still. Yeah, <laughs> so the way it plays out is that yeah, he speaks to uh, to Chewie and Wookie, um, and they come up with a plan to basically escape, which they do, and then they they get to the above ground and try and run in different directions, but because they're both chained and Chewie's much bigger than Han, Han gets I just dragged. Seeing, that was a really cool shot. I love yeah. seeing Christina look this happy. Sorry, just <laughs> she's just beaming away from all of this. So, uh, yeah, Chewie gets dragged. Um, at this point, Beckett realizes that they need extra hands for for their next mission um, because they've just stole- yes. Well, it's John Favreau who convinces him. They've stolen the Quite ship, a- so uh, they decide to rescue them and enlist them in the gang uh, to help them steal a big shipment of coaxium on the planet Vandor. There's a really nice bit here where John Favreau's character, Rio- He's saying, like, we should rescue the Wookiees. Like, yeah, you don't know how comfortable it is or something to sleep in a Wookiee's yeah. lap. You can never have, yeah, like a, a was it, a more restful night's sleep than in a Wookiee's lap. <laughs> what did you guys think about the pilot? What's his name? The little guy, Rio. Uh, Rio, Rio. The little guy, yeah. yeah. Oh, look, you're wrinkling your nose. You're showing your cards. He's only one. I don't know. I didn't love him that much. He, I thought he wasn't, I thought, I think he was supposed to be really funny, but it wasn't that funny. No, I don't, I mean, I know, yeah, some of the people I went to see him with didn't enjoy him. 
I found him completely fine. Like, as like he's not my favorite character, but he's not annoying me. He's not a Jar Jar Binks, but yeah. he's not a well, Yoda. Oh, yeah, of course. You know? yeah. I was just like, he's fine. I mean, as we're about to find out, like many people in this film, actually, he doesn't last that long. So yeah, it was I one think of that's why I appreciated not- him more, too, was that. Yeah. It, yeah. He wasn't around very long. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, they get onto the planet of. Vandor and they there's this big kind of like train transport thing that they plan to stop to get the coaxium from but the plan goes awry when some marauders called the cloud riders show up with their leader Enfys Nest who is the masked villain at this point that was seen in the trailers I love this mask so much this was the main reason I wanted to see this film was because from the trailers I saw that mask and it kind of looks like there's an anime manga series called Appleseed Right, um, and it looks a lot like the lead character in that, but it's fucking cool. Yeah, such a cool so mask. Really cool. I I thought that in these first bits with Enfys Nest, the sort of way it was shot and the the voice modulation, it reminded me a little bit of General Grievous, mm. but it wasn't. But I was no in no way like that's uh, that sucks or that's bad because the character was was much cooler, <laughs> much more interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I love this setup. Like, it was at this point in the movie where I suddenly remembered, oh, this is meant to be a heist movie, and I forgot all about that. Which it yeah. sort of is, but it's like sort a series of heists that aren't that <laughs> yeah. in-depth, really. It's not an yeah. Ocean's Eleven in space, which is maybe what I was hoping for. Yeah. Yeah, this train setup's really cool. Like, you got, like, this sort of weird 360 monorail that it can kind of sort of rotate around when it needs to. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the guards who come out as they're trying to rob it, they got, like, those gravity boots on it, whatever, that suck them to the train. Like, it was a cool setup. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I normally don't like fight scenes, you know, especially in, in Star Wars movies, but I really enjoyed this. It was, uh, it kept me entertained. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What do you think is different about this then? Maybe because it wasn't in a spaceship in space. <laughs> I'm noticing I don't a know. recurring You know, theme. it just felt like, uh, it felt like the stakes were high. I don't know. There's just so much going on and it was, it was really fun to follow along with this, uh, I'm this go- one. I'm going to agree with, with you. And train thing. I'm going to agree with you. And here's, here's my reason is like. It was different. Too. Well, here's a difference. Yeah. Here's the big difference. And again, I'm definitely not showing my hand because I could say many things both ways here and not necessarily show my hand, uh, which I'll explain why at the end. But Rogue One is a film that, you know, we talked a lot about ad nauseum. And I want to love that movie so much, but I just can't get into the characters. This is a film where, sure, they have. I mean, I could immediately get into all the characters in this film. Like, almost yeah. immediately. Like, you're already like, oh, no, Chewie, don't fall off, yeah. you know? And they have a benefit here. <laughs> that was exactly what I shouted. Uh, they have a benefit here of, sure, I already love Han Solo and Chewie, but they also have something going up against them, which is this, this is not my Han Solo. So, you know, it's, I feel yeah. it's kind of even ground. And I, I mean, I fucking love Chewie in this film. And when you see him on the deck of this ship that they're about to do like the, the job from the winds ruffling him and he's all like, he looks like he's been oh, under yeah. a blow dryer. He looks yeah. amazing. Uh, <laughs> he's all fluffy. He's really, he's a badass in this film. He is yeah. fucking really. great in this movie. If mm-hmm. nothing else, Chewie is amazing in this film. Mm-hmm. And they keep coming back to him to show his sensitive side and his violent side, which is really cool. But so yeah, for me, realized- that's just a big difference. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Finish your No, point no, out. no. I was just saying the big difference is, yeah, like in this film, whether you like the film or not, I feel these are characters you can immediately get into. Whereas with Rogue One, I love the film, but I just can't get into those fucking characters. Agree. Yeah. For me, like 
I mean, I obviously love Rogue One, but the, I guess the thing that, that I find similar with Rogue One and this one, especially coming off the back of The Last Jedi, is that the stakes feel immediately higher in both of those films. And there's consequences to, to what goes on, as we're about to see, as this heist yeah. starts to go wrong. Immediately, we get Tandy Newton, who's you think is going to like, is one of the big main stars of this, who you think would probably see see it through to the end, dies, blows herself up. We get John Favreau's character. <laughs> she doesn't Rio. even think about it, man. She doesn't even fucking think of it. She's just like, hey, it's been a fun ride. I don't regret any of it. Boom. Yeah. And then- I know, but didn't you care right away? I cared. I felt bad for uh, Beckett Harrison, yeah. and I like did not want Val to die. I was totally bummed. Yeah. So that right that there, nice- she was barely in the movie, but you already- cared about for sure her. I, agree. I didn't love her but it's because you, you see know? other people loving her and i think that is yep. a key yeah. to yeah. characters it's like it's the same with chewy it's the same with han and what's her face kira is that you see other people care about other people in this world and yep. so like mm-hmm. yeah when you see woody harrison after that nice like fireside chat that they have and they're all being like romantic together and stuff yeah yeah you feel it even though i don't really give a shit about her i know other people in this film who i do give a shit about care about her you know that's yeah that's what i mean like there's there's consequences in this for for the characters for sure and even with rio dying who's just kind of played off as this sort of comedic foil for the majority of that part i think yeah i think that's it you have this campfire scene beforehand and then you see the deconstruction of this team and people die Mm -hmm. which we had which we didn't see in The Last Jedi because it was always no. like, oh, here comes the sacrificial moment of one of the main characters. No, we're not going to do <laughs> Keep that. Keep coming back. <laughs> so here it, it felt consequential and important and, and it had some weight to it. And immediately I was like, this, yeah. is, this is what I want. Like, this is cool. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, that whole scene plays out. The heist goes wrong. Before the Cloud Riders can take away the Coaxium, Han deliberately basically like lets it fly into the mountainside and it explodes i'm a thing another point i just wanted to mention was that um uh, the thing with all these disney films you know positive i guess is that they you know in the prequels george lucas wanted to be ambitious and adventurous as far as new locations and new worlds so all of that was cgi whereas here i feel like they're getting the balance back and using I guess, Earth-like locations where they yeah. can have like actual real footage mixed with CGI. So you're getting things that Much feel the same a bit as Rogue more One. grounded. Yeah. 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 I think there's a lot. I mean, I do think I have to say, which is odd because I'm, I'm really fussy with my effects in films. Like, but coming out of this, the effects are great. Like yeah. there's a couple of shots, which to me looked kind of icky, but- the effects are really, really fucking good. And yeah, when that bomb or that coaxulum like blows up in that mountain, that looks staggering. Yeah, yeah. that was it, it felt huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fucking cool. <laughs> so basically after it blows up, Beckett reveals that that, that shipment of coaxium wasn't for them, but it was for Dryden Voss, who's a high ranking crime boss in the Crimson Dawn syndicate. And he's basically telling Hart that, you know, we're fucked. Like we're gonna get killed now, um, unless we can get more, because that he was going to pay me and I was going to retire and go back to my planet. But Han and Chewie, or Chewie kind of reluctantly, I think, <laughs> volunteered yeah. to help him steal another shipment of, this is an important of Coaxium. Yeah. This is an important moment because he turns to him and like, Han says, look, I'll come with you. And he says, look, 
you shouldn't come because if you come with me now and you show your face to these people, then you're going to be stuck in this life forever. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's really, right. That's the moment where he becomes, yeah, a rogue. Yeah. So this is when outlaw he makes that decision to live that life. So they then travel like, yeah, to yeah, uh, Voss's yacht, uh, this big, very different looking ship. Like the, the, I think it was a really cool, interesting design because it's unlike yeah. anything I've seen in any of the Star Wars films. Really, it was, I thought really it was different. pretty cool too. Yeah, it was cool. We only get to see this top level though because you get the elevator. You never get to see the other levels of this thing. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you get to the like, top level and it's this sort of it's almost kind of like a yeah, almost again sort of like a nineteen forties fifties style. Definitely dinner party design cocktail party. Yeah. Oh, I just got a massive laugh from the cinema. The second I tell you what, the second time I saw it, nobody laughed in the film. Yeah. Uh, I got a few people not clapping, but like who clearly were big Star Wars nerds, which is like, why are you seeing this six days after release since you're big Star Wars nerds? But anyway, but but this moment when we start this scene and you get the female singer who's got like a microphone on her mouth, but then is also singing into a microphone for some reason. And then there's like a jarred alien head with a weird microphone and he's singing like, there was a dude sitting behind me like no one made a fucking noise in this screening and then as soon as it happened the guy behind me just went (laughs) and just started laughing the dirtiest fucking laugh it was absolutely brilliant he loved it absolutely loved it yeah so yeah we have yeah that's right i forgot about that they have the singers obviously trying to recreate a, a sort of jabber's lair kind of vibe but with more style and more class and basically, Beckett's like, keep your head down, don't speak to anyone, whatever. And before you know it, who does Han, uh, Han run into? He runs into Kira, who has joined Crimson Dawn. And he, yeah, they're obviously very enamored and happy to see each other. And there's like a great shot where Chewie's gone to get drinks and he like turns yeah, to go back so to Han. And Han's having a drink <laughs> with Kira. And he's like looking at his two drinks, so he just drinks them both. And then he gets, he gets a fucking, he gets a milk for. You see when oh, he does, does the he? second glass? Oh, yeah. yeah, when he does the second glass, he's got pink milk fur as he brings it down. It's just like <laughs> dripping from his chin. It's awesome. <laughs> Good old Chewie. See, okay, I one thing. I mean, he talked about her so much mm-hmm. before he ran into her, told everybody about her. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine him not turning to all of them, like Chewie mm-hmm. and Beckett, and be like, this is her. <laughs> this, this is, is the girl, the girl guys. <laughs> that I've been looking for for three years. Yep. Or been, you know, trying to trying to get, what, save up money or go back to whatever to get her for three years. Like, he yeah. never says anything to them about, about her, really. And they have a very muted reunion. They have about four sentences where you feel it, and the music's telling you, you should feel it. And mm-hmm. then the music just goes back to doop, 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 and yeah, they're just yeah. walking cool through it. And he's kind of been, hey, I'm a cool dude. How you doing, lady? And it's just like the impact that that was lost me. But I have to say, I did not expect her to turn up. So like, when that happened, I was like, oh, shit. This is like, you oh, know, really? she's, she's, well, she's, you know, the, um, what's the word for it? She always forget. The propuls- propulsion device you need for a movie when it's like, well, she won't uh, be in a movie, but that's what he's chasing for the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get to her at the end. And then she just suddenly turns up and she's like, well, I'm here. I knew she was going to yeah. be there. Really? Maybe it's a woman's intuition. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew just from the trailers that she would have some kind of significance, but I didn't necessarily think she would be on this side. Yeah. I thought she would be back on Karelia and something had happened to her there. 
that gave her. I just didn't expect to see her that quickly. I I thought we were going to have. I thought we were going to have a long journey trying to find her. (laughs) <laughs> and I was really just shocked to be like, oh, all right. And I was because then, then I was genuinely like, okay, well, what's the rest of the film? Like, what is yeah. the rest of the film going to be? Because this is what I thought it was about. Remember when they were on Corellia and I do. Uh, where did, the, you know, that sea creature, she said that she's, Kira, don't do this. We saved you from a life of something. What was it? Do you remember? I think it was watching reruns of The Last Jedi. <laughs> okay, whatever. Pretty sure. <laughs> I'll research it later. <laughs> I don't remember. But I feel like it kind of like gives you like an like a inkling to that that could be her her life later, you know. Right, yeah. Like, right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we we find out pretty quickly that she is part of Crimson Dawn. She has the Crimson Dawn logo on her wrist. Dawn. Have we heard of Crimson Dawn in any other Star Wars or is this new new law? I couldn't remember. Been so I long. Don't know. And now I don't know what's I don't, EU I don't, I don't and what's don't not EU. Recognize it. They have this weird like tattoo thing, which looks like the Death Star. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because someone's gonna draw mm. this symbol later on, and I thought it was the fucking Death Star <laughs> the first time I watched the film. I was like, why are they drawing fucking Death Stars? But no, it's the Crimson Dawn logo. Yeah, I think Crimson Dawn has sort of come in later. Okay. With the whole mall thing. So okay. I think it's part of the Clone Wars animation. I remember those. I remember the Clone Wars. So we'll get into that. Um, so yeah, uh, so she she we find out that uh, Kiri is a top lieutenant in Crimson Dawn, uh, which is led by Dryden Voss. And we cut to a, uh, a scene of Dryden Voss played by Paul Bettany, although not Don't originally. Vision. I, I realized Sorry. it was. Yeah, uh, was reading this morning that it, it originally wasn't played by him. It was played by another actor, and he was this meant to be this half lion, half. Human man, half got, lion. Yeah, and they had shot all of it, pretty much. And then for some reason, he got fired, and they brought in Paul Bettany. <laughs> Poor on. guy. Hang on, who's this guy? Wow, well, so that was in the original version before Ron Howard came in, or what? Let me find it. Half. Which half of him was lion? Was it his legs? Was he like a centaur, but <laughs> with lion legs are, and tail? How sad. Just chat for a second. Or did he just I have a he... big, big mane? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm half lion. No, that's just a lot of hair, buddy. No, I think you'll find <laughs> But I do got to say, I mean, that really sucks for that actor. I feel for him. Yeah, you're that a major sucks. part in a Star Wars film. But you know what happened, don't you? Because in this movie, we have Donald Glover, who we haven't quite got to yet. We've got John Favreau, who's already dead. And then we've got Paul Bettany. We've got three Marvel characters oh. in this movie. And Disney own Marvel and own Star Wars. They do like to cross-pollinate. Yeah, the character was originally going to be played by Michael Kenneth Williams as a motion-captured alien character resembling a mountain lion. But when the original directors, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, were fired and replaced by Ron Howard, Williams uh, was not available for extended reshoots, so they recast it. Oh, well. Not available, eh? What's he doing? Look him up on his IMDb. What the fuck is he doing yeah, that's what too is he important doing? to play his half-lion creature? I'm so happy that didn't happen. Yeah, like, so am I. A CGI I mean, I do, love, I do love Paul Bettany. I, I love Paul Bettany. I think he did a great job. I fucking love Paul Bettany. I love him as he Vision. Was great. I love him in, yeah, I love his English work beforehand. He's one of my, he's one of my like three favorite Marvel characters. Mm-hmm. And I think he's great. Yeah. Yeah. I really and do. I loved the, uh, I love the lines on his face. Yeah. So yeah. he plays like this rage filled, maybe like force sensitive type of a guy. And when his rage no, rises up, the scars on his face get, deeper and darker and his eyes go bloodshot mm. red and he has these only like very little, subtle only a little bit he has yeah very subtle but definitely happens and he has this little these two blades which are 
powered with kyber crystals and have kind of like a red yeah. lightsabery edge mm-hmm. to them. But I just love his candor. I love that he's like all business-like and then he'll be like very threatening. And then at the end, he's just like, we should do this again, guys. It's so good to see you. Yeah, he's, I, uh, yeah he was great. His balance of that was really, really wonderful. So of just, yeah, being evil, full of rage, and then being incredibly charming and, and yeah. a gentleman. He was sexy. And you could he understand was. if you were her. If you were Kira, just the thing, you always see these things in films where the girl is with the baddie. And you're like, that would never fucking happen. Like, no, I yep. don't care how desperate a situation you are, she would hate him. But in this situation, like, yeah, I kind of get it. Yeah, he's good looking. Yeah. He's got money. Yeah. He seems like a yeah. nice guy, but a realist in her opinion. You know, I think that's the thing. It's like she's looking at it from a desperate position. This is the guy you want to be with. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure he's got some bad sides to him, but, you know, he hasn't killed a few people now and then. Yeah. So basically, he threatens to kill uh, Han, Chewie, and Beckett because they haven't got the coaxium. But uh, Han manages to, in the heat of the moment, suggest that uh, they steal unrefined coaxium um, and that there's a ton of it on the mind on Kessel. So Voss reluctantly agrees. Oh, and here's this little uh, Easter egg. I don't know if you guys noticed, but in the background of Voss's sort of room, he has all these different artifacts and ornaments and there's the Mandalorian armor, which is the same armor as Jango and Boba Fett, and which was the inspiration for the clone army. There are also two other Easter eggs in that room. (laughs) It's kind of like like it's kind of ridiculous. There is one which is the Golden Idol, which is from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, nice! That's one of the things he has sitting there, <laughs> yeah. and I noticed it, but I thought it can't be because I didn't know that that was already there. Haruka noticed it immediately. There's the fucking crystal skull. Oh yeah, Indiana Jones yeah. and the crystal skull. That's sitting there as well. <laughs> yeah, like the most hated Indiana Jones film. For some reason, they decide, yeah, let's fucking chuck that in there just to piss yeah. fans off even more. So um, does this mean? In the next Indiana Jones film that's meant to be happening with Harrison Ford, that they're going to bring together a Star Wars... <laughs> is Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones going to meet Elden, Alden as Han Solo? In there a, you go. In the weirdest crossover Crazy mashup crossover. So, okay. Voss reluctantly agrees to this new plan, but he says that Kira has to accompany them. So, Kira then takes the lead in the team and says that they need a ship that's going to get them to Kessel. So she goes to see Lando Calrissian, Donnie Glover, Ooh. played by This Is America, and an accomplished smuggler and pilot who she hopes will lend them his ship, the Millennium Falcon. But Han is like, "Don't worry, I got this. I'll play him in this card game, Sabak, and I'll win the Millennium Falcon." Yeah, because they're worried. She says he's retired, so he's not going to let them have the ship or something. So like, yeah. She doesn't. She she says, "Oh, I know a guy. We should go to him." And then when they get there, she's like, "Oh, he'll never give it to us because he's retired." It's like, well, "What the fuck did you come that far? Yeah, and why did you turn up with no plan?" And she doesn't even approach Lando right straight away. She just lets Han no. take the lead. Yeah, and For an awesome scene. Uh, there's a table of all these interesting characters and beings playing Subak, and Han is sort of knocking them out one by one until he's in the last sort of. Uh, play with uh, Lando and he thinks he's won but Lando has a secret cheat card up his sleeve and wins the round I love this alien who's biting his fingernails off like through his sort of swordfish mouth which is going it's really fucking cool oh there's like a funny creature with six eyes and he's like keep your eyes on your cards all of them (laughs) 
there's loads of comedy <laughs> in this bit, but this stuff all does feel ad-libbed in a really great way. Like it's really, yeah. it's really cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was good. Yeah, it's. I really like this. It's kind of got again that same sort of charm and wit, and a little bit kind of muppety, bit diverse, like mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi and Jabba's uh, Jabba's lair. Oh, definitely Jabba, Jabba's definitely. palace. I just love um, it when a blockbuster slows down to have a card game. I don't know why. I love it in Casino yeah. Royale, and I love it here. Like I like sure. just yeah. Let's just slow it down. Let's have some people around a table, and you can sort of metaphorically tell us a lot about the characters just from how they're playing cards. Yeah, cool. and so as you mentioned before, uh, Lando calls um, Han Han, which is what Billy D. Williams pronounces it in uh, Empire Strikes Back when he first sees <laughs> Han arrive on Cloud City. He's like, Han, you old dog. And so he does it here and uh, Han Solo immediately quips back, that's okay, it's Han. <laughs> it's Han, Shut but that's okay or down. something, which I think he just, Lando ignore- ignores. So after- Lando's won this game. Yeah, Kira finally goes up to him and <laughs> speaks to him and says, this is the plan. And he's like, oh, cool. I want some of that. I want in. And then she says, I thought you retired. And he just does this. He does this actually like a Benicio Del Toro thing with his hands. He's like, things change. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's really weird. What are you guys, how are you guys feeling about Donald Glover at this point as Lando? I think he's great. <laughs> I love him. I just like him more and more as the film goes on. Mm -hmm. And he's such a, he's a fun, he's such a fun character for this group. Yeah. Oh, I agree. A hundred percent agree. I mean, the the real thing for me, I'm a big Donald Glover fan. I loved him in Community and then I got into Childish Gambino and obviously everybody knows him and they started using his behind sets. I don't know if you saw this. I went to the cinema a couple of weeks ago and immediately after This Is America came out and became the biggest viral music video of all time. They started using his behind clo- like behind the scenes Millennium Falcon tour stuff, and they would use that as a trailer for the film. They would just have Donald Glover just like talking to the audience in the cinema, and it was stuff he had clearly just shot that would go on the Blu-ray. And instead, they were like, "Oh, he's huge! Suddenly, let's put this immediately out to like capitalize on that." Mm. And you, you just like I, when I was watching this film the first time, I was like, "I just he's just such a fucking chameleon." Like whether or not you like him as Lando, you just look at his performance here, and then you just think of him in that music video, and you're like. Jesus Christ, man. Like, yeah, yeah. so many things. Um, and yeah, I love him as great. Lando. I love him as Lando. I think he's, I think he's an easier, I like Alden a lot, but I think he's an easier fit as Lando than Alden is even as Harrison Ford. Like, there's little mannerisms in both of them, but they make it their own as well. And he looks great in a cape. Yeah, he looks great. He's really got yeah. the attitude. There's want? like a few things which I'll bring up at the end that, Maybe I not necessarily didn't like about his performance, but yeah, I'll get into it later. But but I feel like right off, right off the bat here, the chemistry between them, it just like it sparks. It immediately just kicks yeah. off, and it's like you're 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 on board with it. It's like immediately fun. There's good banter. There's like that also that kind of male macho tension between them, mm-hmm. and, and and it just plays immediately, which I really really liked. You know what I was just thinking? It's like, I think this, I think a lot of this scene clearly comes from the first shoot because it does look ad-libbed comedy sort of thing. But do you think like, because we, we're all, I think, coming down on this, there's good chemistry here. And that's, you know, if anything works with this film, it is the characters like having mm-hmm. great chemistry and stuff. How often does a film like this get 80% of it reshot? You know, do you think like if you're shooting together for that long, you're going to have good chemistry? Yeah. Like yeah. you're mm. building such a good rapport with each other. Like I'm just suddenly thinking 
I wonder if some of the magic I'm feeling with the characters is literally because, yeah, they know each other really well by that point. They're good friends, you know? Like, they've been shooting a long time. I wonder. Mm-hmm. I wonder, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Well, so at this know. point, so Lando agrees to lend them the Millennium Falcon for a share of the profits. Um, at this point, we're also finally introduced to our resident droid for the film, L337. Just rolls up the tongue. Is it? sassy sort of sentient kind of independent thinking robot that well uh, phrased <laughs> that, that lando says he doesn't want to change uh wipe her memory because oh how does he what does he say so you got the best because navigation her- system in the galaxy yeah yeah that's right and she's played by phoebe waller bridge from fleabag yeah fleabag great I sat, I sat um, next to her in a Japanese oh my restaurant. gosh she's the one on fleabag yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, no wonder I really liked her. Oh, I love that show. Yeah, there's a oh, restaurant cool. like two blocks from where I am right now, and I had dinner next to her one night just after Fleabag came out, and it was really weird <laughs> to see a scene and no <laughs> one noticed, like no one gave a shit, no one cared. It was strange. So, yeah, this is definitely the the kind of following the Disney structure of have, yeah putting in a kind of mm-hmm. humor-filled, humor-filled droid uh, sidekick. Much like what, K- K2SO in Rogue One, obviously. Oh, yeah, I was going to test ones. you. I was going to see. Did you remember his name? Because I do well, not. Well, the funny <laughs> thing is, is K2SO I didn't remember after watching Rogue One a couple of times. And it was once we did the podcast that I remembered it um, and it kind of sunk in. It's the same with L3. I could not remember no. her name at all. And there's some weird coding reference to do with like coding. But, okay, so how do you guys feel about this robot? I thought it was a little heavy-handed, personally. Rebellion! (laughs) (laughs) I liked her. I liked her. Okay. I thought she was fun. And I liked the connection between her and Lando. Yeah. No, good. Yeah, no good. (laughs) Yeah, I liked it. I'm with Alex. I liked um, You guys thought she was too much? Look, I liked her relationship with Lando a lot. Um... And I didn't mind her. I liked her design quite a lot. And I didn't even mind her attitude. It was just a bit too much for me. Because they basically, they were rolling in. I mean, it was just so egregiously obvious of, all right, let's roll in all the hot topics right now. Let's roll yeah, in stuff. exactly. Like, you know, like we need, you know, everything to do with equality from race to religion to definitely feminism in there as well. And it was just, I felt it was really quite heavy handed. Uh, there were some bits that worked for me and some bits that didn't. Basically, and I will say, like some of these other characters we talked about, I'm happy she doesn't last too long. <laughs> She's another one that goes fairly quickly, mm-hmm. and I just kept thinking, like, because from the trailers, I was worried about her because I actually hated her voice in the trailers. I was like, oh god, that voice for that robot sounds terrible, um, and I didn't mind it. It was just too much, and I kept, I did keep thinking, oh, I wish, I wish K2SO was in this movie. To be honest, because I found K2SO much funnier. No, um, well, what can you do? I think, I mean, she was, I feel like she was supposed to be a little obnoxious, but I felt like it was like a good obnoxious. And I do think she died at an appropriate time. I, I yeah, feel sure. like her death was, um, it meant something. So I yeah. feel like it, it was a good death. I think you know the difference I mean? is for me. I think is they got like all the every- deaths right in this. It was really, yeah, yeah I they really they, did. They timed them really well. But then mm-hmm. the difference is for me, like everybody else in this film, I kind of want to hang out with, or at least I could hang out with. And every previous robot in Star Wars history, like BB-8, I really want to be good friends with. K2SO, I want to hang out with. 
Uh, R2-D2 definitely. C-3PO? Yeah, maybe not. But for nostalgia purposes, yeah. This one, nah, I would not hang out with this fucking robot. Whatever, Elf, you can hang out with me. Okay, she's all yours. <laughs> it's cool. So they, uh, they head to Kessel and they have to, they can't hyperspace directly there. They have to sort of go through this maelstrom, this storm, which they navigate through and they get to the planet um, and they infiltrate the mine. Another little Easter egg here is that when they arrive and the sort of head people of the mine come to greet them, uh, Kira tells them that she is the Viceroy of the Trade Federation. Anyone? What's the, what's the Easter egg? Prequels? Sounds stupid, like the prequels, but yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, that is. It's just the prequels. Because the oh, Viceroy that, yeah, of the Trade, Trade Federation says? was like the fake bat there. I am the Viceroy of the Trade Federation. Those guys. Oh, of course. Those <laughs> incredibly racist people. I'm glad that we, yeah. me and Christina both knew that. We just wanted to hear you do the voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they go there. And again, uh, Christina, you just mentioned it. Uh, L3 instigates a slave revolt. All the ro- was great. All the robots are on the loose and they're going crazy. But then they also free all the slaves while yeah. uh, Lander, I mean, while, um, Han and Chewie are going to collect the coaxium, the assignment of coaxium. Um, Chewie sees some other Wookiees. Wookiees. And he yeah. basically, him and Han have a good buy at this point because uh, earlier in the story, we find out that um, all the Wookiees were taken off their home planet and used as sort of like shipped around as slaves by the Empire. And basically ever since, Chewie's been on the, on the search for his family. Uh, or his tribe, I love that as they, they continued say. that story, you yeah. know? Yeah, he gets like his own it, thread. It went somewhere. Yeah. So Chewie finds some Wookiees and he we get some more Chewie Wookiee rage, which is fucking cool. And he goes and just yeah. beats up all these officers, leaving Han to- Is this where he rips the arms off or is that somewhere else? Uh, that is oh, somewhere yeah. else. Okay. Yeah. I think- I think that was like in the elevator. Yeah, I think what, it was that's right. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. They're escaped. in the elevator. Yeah. And Han's looking for a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're about to break free. Yeah, he needs an outfit to disguise himself in the classic yeah. Star Wars oh, trope. Yeah. Usually, it's just knocking out, or usually we don't see what happens to the guards that they that they steal the uniforms from. Rips Whereas in this one, off, we man. see we see Chewie amputate. A guard. And this is apparently, and apparently this is referenced in one of the older movies. Like, there's somewhere where they do a callback to this. Apparently, they say something about Chewie ripping. I don't know. Uh, I read cool. something mm. about this is fulfilling something that was said in one of the other films or something. Yeah, cool. So yeah, so that happens. Um, and then anyway, uh, Hans left to transport the consignment of the heavy coaxium by himself. Uh, Chewie comes back with another Wookiee, and they help him out. And as all mayhem is breaking loose. This is the bit where we see L3 get severely destroyed and shot into pieces. Um, Lando oh runs out to go and grab like her half that is left on the ground. Now she's sort of like slowly shutting down. It's a fucking awesome shot as Lando's running through this. Everyone's like firing and he jumps over stuff and it's all like a single shot until he gets to it. It yeah. looks fucking cool. It's really yeah. cool physical performance. Uh, and then he gets her in the thing. There's a really cool moment where. Where Chewie basically has to decide whether he stays with the revolting slaves and the Wookiees and to help out and or go go with Han. I think it's revolting. Like, yeah. I was like, that's a yeah, little not revolting racist, like that. <laughs> uh, the revolting, disgusting slaves. Um, and he decides to stay with Han and he has this really sweet moment where he says goodbye to the Wookiee that he saved. 
Where so they, can I ask what yeah, was... Yeah, it was nice. What was... Oh, yeah, they just got, like, head on head. It's really nice. Yeah. What yeah, was, was what so was the cute. fucking plan here though, man? Like like they get what? out because all the robots are revolting and the Wookiees are revolting. The yeah. plan, just terrible. But what was the plan? How are they gonna get eleven canisters of this shit through like the entire like facility when Without they were getting just, caught? Yeah. Who knows? But they did it, didn't <gasps> they? Yeah, I don't know. It all worked. Yeah. Well, well, okay, well, well proved. The, so when L three starts to uh, uh, starts the revolution, you know, for all the slaves and stuff, and starts like uh, taking all the things off of the robots and whatever. Yes. Um, and then when she's like revolution, that was my friend's favorite part. Nice. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. This, this, it this, was pretty fun. This thing, I know. I, this is thing in this context. I don't mind it. It's just like I need fifty percent of how much. They're using her being like that, you know? And what's weird to me... Okay, I want to say this right now, because I said it to Haruka when we went out for dinner last night and talked about it. And I want to know, how do you think you're meant to feel about her? Because what's weird about her is, like, she's obviously got this great relationship with, with um, Lando. But Lando's constantly, like, sighing at anything she says that is remotely, like, not feminist, obviously, robotist, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. He's constantly like, oh, God, here she goes again with this whole sort of, like, equal rights thing. It's like, how are we meant to feel about this when they're getting her to say the stuff that is very topical, but then you're giving our characters who we like, they're scoffing at her, basically, in her face and saying, oh, typical robot. And if you actually equate that to real-life values, it is like, a, you know, a woman, like, fine for equal rights, and there's a man sitting there going, Typical woman wants yeah. equal rights. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. And for me, then that meant Lando's moment, a, a combination of Donald Glover's performance and that build up meant that it meant very, like, I didn't believe it as much when he was kind right. of mourning her loss because it was like, yeah, you've kind no, of scoffed but at her. But then I also, I guess the issue was I didn't believe him from his performance in that moment. But I'll get right. into that at the end. I'll get to that. But but she had that whole conversation with Kira earlier, how like, oh, Lando's actually really in love with me, but you know, uh, just, yeah, that, yeah. it just wouldn't work, <laughs> yeah, you know? That's right. But he's in love with me. Like, yeah, he and is. It's kind of funny. She it was some, like 100%. It's like sometimes I think- I mean, they can maybe. have sex because <laughs> she made that clear. Like, it is possible. <laughs> Remember? No, not pleasurable, probably, but possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I actually- I did believe their relationship. That's the thing. For me, it worked. I and for it. me, And for me, his jibes at her and his kind of like, oh, God, here she go, worked in this kind of like married kind of way. You know? Yes, that's <laughs> exactly what it felt like. Yeah. But what I'm asking is, yeah, the thing that sticks out weird to me is as a company like Disney and Lucasfilm and all these people are working on this movie and writing it very carefully, mm -hmm. it's a very strange message. Like I do, I am kind yeah. of like, what are they trying to say? When they're talking about equality and then they're getting all the other characters to snark at that like it's a bad thing. Yeah, like, thing. oh, yeah. I would wipe her mind. I would wipe her, but she yeah. has But she's got, she's got maps. She's good. Maps, and, you yeah. Know, it's like, yeah, I would get my wife to shut up, but she tells me to do GPS when, <laughs> when I'm in the car. It's just yeah. like, it's a weird message under it all, which works, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it works mm -hmm. fine, but it is a weird message to write into. Interesting. I don't know. don't know. It did feel weird, Alex, when she was like dying and Lando was like rubbed like, oh, you know, like when he was like his, when he was like caressing Molesting her. It was like that or, particular like, moment that didn't land for me. Soothing her. Lando, it was Lando a little for you. weird. Yeah. 
But how would you like soothe a robot, you know, with your, you know, it, I don't know. Maybe it was just like the action of it. Alex yeah, would I lick mean, it. It wasn't was necessarily off. like the action or it was, it was believing that he, as, as a performer, that Cared. he was, that I didn't, I just hurt. didn't believe that he was hurt, that he was, mm. I, did, I didn't see it as very truthful in that moment. But then there were moments mm-hmm. around that where I did feel he's lost. It just it felt that moment didn't feel like it, 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 it landed for me. Landed for me. Landed for you. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they, they escape, they get back, and then as they are trying to get through the Maelstrom on Kessel in one of the cooler shots, it was one of my favorite shots in the trailer. I think you and I spoke about it, Al, when the trailer first came out. Suddenly appearing in this big storm and lit by a flash of lightning is an Imperial Star Destroyer coming oh, yeah, straight cool at them. And it looks really, really cool. Um, they and realize- this is called it because of the revolt, apparently. Right. And they realize that they have to, uh, they can't fly straight at it and they have to do something. So Han's like, well, let's just go through the, uh, take a shortcut and go through the moor. I think it's called all of the- they go for the maelstrom, which leads to the moor. Yeah. To the moor, which is like a giant black hole. And this is the beginning, the bit that part of the legendary Han Solo lore is him doing the Kessel Run in the Millennium mm-hmm. Falcon. We should say, yeah, at this point, Han's been put in charge of flying the ship at last, which he's been desperate to do. Mm-hmm. And in a quite a funny exchange, Kira's down trying to do stuff to begin with, but she doesn't know how to operate it. And then- Chewie's like, I can do this. And he's like, how did you learn to fly? And he's like, I'm 190 years old. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, that was funny. So, yeah, so yeah. You, get, you do get like, okay, so I want to say this now. Like, we've got this new guy, is it John Powell, I think I said, doing the music, but then bringing in the music from the previous ones. Yeah. Here's, again, something that I think this does better than Rogue One. Rogue One really irks me that the music is like, let's try and be like Star Wars, but not quite. Yeah, And it just I is agree. frustrating. Whereas here it's its own thing. And then when things are introduced that are relevant to the other films, it brings in the appropriate score for them. Yeah. And it fucking kicks ass. So this moment is like big Star Wars music. I forgot on which theme, but as Chewie then sits in the seat and they're both together for the first time in the cockpit and it feels awesome. Like it feels yeah. really cool. It's so seamless in this. Like it doesn't feel like here's a little kind of flurry where we're going to change some of the notes. Like it just felt, yeah, like you said, and it really kind of, emphasize and elevates moments like that because yeah. it's suddenly familiar and it's suddenly connected to that world and it did that perfectly. I thought the score was awesome. So yeah, they they start taking this dangerous route through the uncharted maelstrom to avoid the Imperial blockade and they're getting chased by TIE fighters. At this point, to navigate through it, Orlando comes up with the idea to load, upload L3's incredible navigation systems into the ship itself. And then he shows like the uh, the famous like navigational thing from the other movies, which the now we know is L3 and she sparks up and he's like, and now she's part of the ship. And so that's kind of like becomes iconic. And then also an Easter egg to that, which I read this morning is that in a new hope when C3PO is trying to communicate with the millennium Falcon, he says something like she speaks in a very peculiar, uh, I've never heard machine speak like this or something it speaks in a very peculiar way oh okay um and so that's kind of meant to a little I mean that she's always been in there. yeah so that it's that l3 is part of the millennium falcon now so they're going through the maelstrom and suddenly a giant octopus creature is there and they're trying to avoid it um but they get to the moor which is the giant black hole the octopus gets sucked in oh at this point 
So at this point, we haven't mentioned yet, the Millennium Falcon aesthetically looks different. It doesn't mm-hmm. have the two kind of points Prongs. at the end of it. It's, it's just completely pointed, um, which I think is a kind of throwback to its very original conceptual design at uh, the beginning of A New Hope. But what happens in this sequence is that they jettison the escape pod, I think, to fire yeah. at the giant octopus, which comes out of the front and then reveals the more classic. Yeah, so they're trying Falcon. to like, lure the octopus into the black hole, essentially. Yeah. Um, with the escape pod, which is stupid enough to follow for some reason, but yeah. Yeah. This this scene is so weird because it's like, I love I love Big Krakens. I think it looks really cool, like when you mm-hmm. see the tentacles like and stuff to begin with. But this scene is so big. Yeah. Like so, so big that I feel in all the other films where he's been like boasting about this Kessel run, I feel it would be the other stuff you might talk about more, which is the fucking Kraken and the black hole that you just escaped out of. And it's so big as to make me feel like when I go back to the original trilogy, nothing would phase him in those yeah. first three films after doing yeah. this. You know, this is so much bigger than anything else they've done. This is the only bit in the film for me which is too blockbuster big in terms of like action um, yeah. and CGI and all of that stuff. You know, it's just like, all right. I got to the end of it and I was like, for a guy that has spent his lifetime bragging how fast he did the Kesseron, that fucking took forever. <laughs> That's true. That is true. <laughs> but is this, was this the thing well, Maybe here, they like, didn't need the octopus, you know? It could have yeah. just been the black hole. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and chased by else. the TIE fighters would have worked, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's, are we meant to learn here? Because how many is in Parsecs? Is this like, I read something about people saying, this film then kind of retroactively says that parsecs is distance rather than time. Yeah. That's so, like the- so a thing that often happens in the sci-fi geek universe is there's always a strong rivalry between Star Wars and Star Trek. And Star Wars fans will tell you that Star Wars, is no space, which one we're Star Wars is space fantasy, whereas Star Trek fans rightly say that Star Trek is real sci-fi as it's based on real scientific theoretical ideas and whatnot. And so the parsecs thing is something that always comes up because it's like, well, parsecs isn't a unit of distance or time or whatever, like whatever. Right. I actually had this when I sat with Avna. She was asking me about what's what's the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek? Which one is this as we sat in there? And I'd never summed it up this way, but what came to me when I was trying to sum up to her, I said, Star Trek is where a bunch of people act like British people at war and they sit down in a room to do battle. Star Wars is where a bunch of people have war like Americans and run around shouting things and shooting everybody. <laughs> there you that's go. basically the difference. Well said, Al. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what they do. They sit down to find. Oh, man. The giant octopus uh, gets sucked into the, the moor. Um, they manage to use some of the coaxium in its raw form to put into the boosters of the Millennium Falcon, which gets them out of the Kessel and sends them on their way to Savarine to process the fuel. They arrive on Savarine, which is this kind of deserty place by the ocean. Looks kind of cool. People here are obviously very, like, poor and deprived. They've kind of just looks like they've used, like, not even in any way making interesting, like, (laughs) they look like they've used people of different African tribes without- Do you know what I mean? Like the design yeah, yeah, yeah. is very much of that almost sort of like East shot. African. I'm going to look at where they were shot. 
Because this is the rest of the movie, is this location. Which I yeah. only mm-hmm. noticed the second time round. The first time round, I was a bit confused if they were flying between planets or anything. But like, no, this is just the same, same clifftops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they arrive there to get the coaxium uh, refined. Um, but at this point, they're confronted by Enfys Nest, who had put a tracking beacon on the Falcon and tracked them from Vandor. And we have a moment here, I think there was in one of the last trailers, where Beckett's trying to talk his way out of it and Han steps up and says, I've got 30 men down there in that ship. Um, I just have to click my fingers and they'll be out here and destroy the lot of you. And as he says that, the Millennium Falcon, with Lando in it, Lando abandons them, <laughs> takes his ship because he's yeah. pissed off when they arrive on Vandal. Lando's really pissed off because he turns around and the Millennium Falcon, which was pristine, is now just... A broken piece of junk, much like how it kind of continues to be throughout the rest of the uh, the franchise. Yeah, I just say actually that was we we I completely forgot as an addendum to that we missed one of my favorite Lando moments earlier, where you cut to him while he's waiting for them in the mining place, <laughs> and he's doing kind of again like a Star oh, Trek that's thing. Right, that fits awesome. Calrissian oh, yeah. Chronicles, and he's doing like a little holographic diary of his ex- <laughs> adventures. Yeah, that's right. I do love how how much they play up to that, that, how much Lando is into his himself and his ego and his kind of yeah. his his own beauty and whatever. Like it's it's very, very funny. Yeah, that bit's Yeah, awesome. when she says like he's got, oh, it's a lot of capes. And she goes, arguably too many. <laughs> <I'm> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Enfys reveals to the crew that they're not pirates. She emphasizes that they're not marauders. Um, but they're rebels trying to prevent the syndicates and the Empire from gaining power. And at this point uh, Emphis takes off the mask uh, to reveal quite a young woman. I would say almost maybe a teenager even. Late yeah, teenager. definitely, definitely. Meant to be a teenager for sure. Yeah. Which for me, I thought she looked great. I thought it was a really cool choice. But there was also a part of me that was like, oh, that's the Disney element kind of coming in. Like, here's our Star Wars kids fighting for- Like, oh, because she's a kid? The rebellion. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like well, there was just also- a, a twinge of cynicism, but not at the same time. I was like, I really love the choice. I really loved the look of that actress. I thought she had a really oh my god, yeah, her face, face is fucking incredible. Really cool. Oh, and this and is cast she, by. Yeah, um, she looked great. She looked really, really cool. This is the person who cast Game of Thrones, isn't it? So like, there's, there's a lot of British people for this stuff, and this, oh, this girl's yeah. British as well. And it's a very Game of Thrones sort of casting decision. This girl's face, yeah, so. yeah. It did feel there was elements of Game of Thrones in this whole thing. I feel like that whole group, like those rebels, were just cool. You know, the one that came on the uh, the fast speed train. Like yeah, they yeah, were, yeah. You know. Anyways, but I feel like this was the moment where like everything kind of came together. Mm-hmm. And kind of uh, expose like the purpose of this film, not really like where Han came from, but like the beginning and the birth of the rebellion. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, this is what so I really, I really enjoyed like seeing that. I really liked that idea. Again, for me, it's just, I, I think it's just maybe how do you pull it. How do you just pull it back just a, a, a very, very slightly without making like really emphasizing that this is part of the like there was just a way that she like would say the rebellion or like this is the birth of a rebellion. It was just for me, it was like too on the nose of like, okay, we get too the point. obvious. Yeah, it's too obvious like yeah. what you're yeah. tying it all into. It's like we get it. You don't have to really it felt just hammered. 
I was fine with it. My weird thing with this scene is that it like it felt like both. Okay, this is the point where I was like, this film is doing something different, and it's doing something that that makes me worried, but that I also love. So what I was, what I loved about it was that we have a villain in what's his name Vision. Forgot his fucking name, Paul Bettany. Yeah, but mm-hmm. he's kind of lovable, and you don't see him that much. And he's not like he's not like he's evil. He's just doing his job. You know, he's kind of like a reasonable man and you can, as we'll see later, you could bargain with him, you know? He's like a gangster. Yeah, yeah. He's not like doing things just for nefarious. He's got no big plan to like destroy the universe or anything. He's just doing shit and to like survive and make money. And then you've got this one who, who Infus Nest was your other villain. Because at this point I was suddenly thinking, hang on, who the fuck is the protagonist in this film? And yeah. then I suddenly remembered, oh, Infus Nest. I've forgotten about Infus Nest. And then she takes a mask off and it's awesome. And I love this twist. And I love her face and I love the vibe here. And I love the sort of, I love, yeah, that suddenly I'm like, oh, there's no villain really in this film. That's weird. But then I'm left yet again with this feeling where I was like, I don't know what's going to, uh, where are they going to go now? Like, like, what am I hoping is going to happen? Because there don't seem, there doesn't seem to be a conflict here, you know? Yeah. So I was interested. I think as well, like for me, with those bits that were that I felt were like a bit too on the nose was that I, I started then getting the sense of like, okay, like here is how they, they're wrapping it up by just throwing out now all the threads and lines of where they're going to take it beyond this film. Like not just necessarily in a broader sense of like, oh, this is the start of the rebellion, but it felt very, and, I, and this is why I'm saying there was this sort of Disney cringe kind of cynicism because it, it felt like, okay, now they're, they're putting the, they want us to leave knowing that there's pieces in place for where they're going to go next. Mm-hmm. And I was like, here are yeah, your little but like, then, like nuggets. All, I, like, I get what you're saying, but I, compared to all the other movies, like, I just don't even like, I'm like, wait, what was, why, what was the purpose of the mm-hmm. Star Wars movie? Like, <laughs> what? So I feel like this is like the first one that I'm like, oh. Yeah, okay. yeah. Like this had like a follow through yep. story. For sure. That I could grasp. Like the other ones just kind of um this felt so much more purposeful. Lost Jedi. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah so basically Emphis Nest tells Han or tells the group her cause and Han has a moment of yeah, you see him sort of sympathetic to their cause and how they're trying to sort of fight against this oppression that they're living under. So Han goes to Beckett and says, hey, I've got a plan that we can give the coaxium to Enfys Nest and her rebels, and we can trick Voss, but we can still come away with the money and it'll all be good. But Beckett's like, no, I'm going to get killed. We're all going to get killed. I'm out of here. I'm heading to Tatooine. There's a gangster there. Again, this is like another, like, here's a tie-in. Uh, there's a gangster there, Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> but then I guess, like, maybe that is also very on the nose because it's, I think if you didn't know that, 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 that would just be, like, an interesting thing he said. Yeah. But he's, but he's like, yeah, there's a gangster on Tatooine that's got a big job that I want to do because then once I do it, I can retire. Like, come and, come and find me if this all works out. So Han goes to Voss and tries to trick him. However, Voss has been alerted to the treachery and the plan. And who do you think it's going to be by? It turns out to be Woody himself, Beckett. Who, in all fairness, yeah, did tell him halfway through the movie, always expect everyone to betray you and you won't be disappointed. And he says that right off the bat, doesn't he? He's like, I told you. 
Yep. And uh, and Voss reveals that he sent all of the soldiers to go and kill Enfys uh, and the Cloud Riders. However, Han throws it back like a excellent Subak player. Plays the bluff perfectly and says, "Enjoying yes, it too much, though." <laughs> I did take. What do you say? He enjoys this moment. He's got like a big old smile on his face. Oh, like, he, dude, he really just from enjoys your smile, this moment. They wouldn't even let you finish the sentence. They'd be like, "Oh shit, he's got it sorted. Let's fucking kill yeah. him straight away." He's like, "Yeah, he got a big grin on his face. He's he's basically like my dad before he reaches the punchline of a joke. He's just already yep. he's already." <laughs> Lapping up the victory. Like, you're going to love this one. Get around. Get around. <laughs> yep. It's brilliant. <laughs> and so basically Han uh, anticipated Beckett's deception and came up with a second plan with the Cloud Riders. And we, so we have this really cool part. This bit I fucking thought was awesome. Enfys Nest in this bit is awesome. She uh, basically, Voss's guards try and take the coaxium. They realize that the bags containing them are empty and then Enfys appears over this like ridge and has a big uh, staff which like Voss's um, mm-hmm. blades are Daggers, lit yeah. by on the edges by kyber crystals but hers are blue and she throws it into the ground and it just like lets out this big sort of shock wave mm-hmm. and then they overpower the guards kick butt and kick butt that, but I have to say like and what's cool about this is you got like the, the sort of double or triple even sort of thing of of it starts because Dryden Voss you know, he, 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 get, he thinks that he's been given fake ones because he's been told, yeah. yeah, this is all a trap. And it's also, I love how he fucking, how Paul Bettany plays that scene where he gets, he says, like, come over here, come over here. Like, you know, get, <laughs> let me have a look at one of these. He's like, oh, I wouldn't. They're yeah. really volatile. And he's like, and he's like, it's brilliant. How did you do it? And then he said, oh, it wasn't easy. He said, no, I mean, they almost look like the real thing. How did you yeah. do it? And he's just so candid with how he's not threatening, but because it's not threatening, it's so much more threatening. It's, mm-hmm. it's fucking awesome. His performance is great, yeah. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, it was and it's really just good. like these, every, like, and that was the yeah the great thing about it is that you watching it, you you're kind of also being spun of like who's playing who. It kind of keeps yeah. like yeah. this is like this constant flip. I did not see the end of that coming. Like I was like, oh man, it didn't work. Of course, it didn't work. Yeah, and then and then so I was really shocked and happy. Yeah, you know, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, even they did before a good one. They did a good appeared, one. I was like, I bet Kira betrays him. It's going to be Kira. She's going to yeah. betray him. And then it flips. And then obviously, okay, so then now we get into the next kind of flip, I guess, is that so the guards, uh, Beckett ends up taking Chewie hostage and escaping with the coaxium. He kind of overpowers the lot of them or the three of them that are in uh, Voss's lair. Um, and so he betrays Voss and he takes the coaxium and he takes Chewie with him because Chewie, I guess, is the only one strong enough to carry the two. Yeah, exactly. The two <laughs> it's like the a two big, big camel. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he goes off and then we have a uh, fight now between Kira, Voss and Han Solo. But it's fucking awesome because they just wait. There's like one split second. And then as soon as the door shuts, all three of them just go. Run! And they all just like run in different directions to like try and yeah. get weapons and hide and like it's fucking cool. Um, and then it kind of then just becomes a battle between Kira and Voss because mm-hmm. I think he sort of goads her and says something about she would never be able to betray him or something. She's a no, no, no. He's like putting his faith in her and then she's about to kill Solo. That's right. Um, and then she says, I was always, like, this is what my training was, which earlier on she said she was trained in the ways of Terras Cassie. 
which is a throwback to a 90s PlayStation video game called Star Wars The Masters of Terror's Cassie, which was oh, a, wow. a terrible, obscure fighting game that I have no idea what the fuck is going <laughs> oh, on here. Yeah, I remember that game. I had that game. <laughs> oh my God. Because when she spell. said that, I was like, what does that um, mean? You know, Why does it sound familiar? Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of reminded me of uh, The Last Jedi when uh, Ben you. did that last trick, you know, and killed whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. Uh, like, but she does a thing of then, like, she's on solo. She looks like she's about to kill him, and then she says, "Yeah, yeah. I was trained um, to uh, to utilize my opponent's weak spot or whatever, or use like the thing that they're most weak to." And then she says, "And today, that's me um, for you or whatever." And, like, she was the weakness really for both of them, but in particular for Voss. And she turns around and scars him, and then they have a good old battle. And this one, I mean, like, she looks like normally actors do not look great when they're doing this stuff because they can't do this stuff. Mm-hmm. But even when they do that pose move, you know, and she's sort of like dagger oh, the, out. It's like, yeah, yeah, it looks that cool. pose move looks fucking cool. Yeah, it looked cool. Yeah, it was great. Like, really good yeah. on her. And she I didn't did think a good job. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she really did. So, so yeah, she ends, up, she ends up killing Voss um, and tells Han to go and save Chewie from Beckett. And she's like, I'll join you. And basically, we'll, we'll fulfill our dreams that we had back on Corellia and we'll get a ship and we'll. But somewhere. it's 100% obvious that she's not going to join him. Yeah, it yes. really is. Well, go on, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get for it up with you. I'm just going to grab some gems first. Yeah, I just got to yeah. grab these. And so he goes out and he's all like, I got this, babe. And the door closes while she's <laughs> looking very great. forlorn. Khan just didn't read the signs. Classic guy move. <laughs> um, and now alone aboard Voss's yacht. Here we go. Twist time. Here we go. So I don't know about you guys, but. Because of Rogue One and getting the Vader twist reveal sort of at the end, mm-hmm. there was a part of me that was anticipating something like that. Like but a lead my, into my feeling was that we were either going to see the Emperor or mm-hmm. we were going to see Vader. I was praying we wouldn't see either of those people. Right. I didn't necessarily want it, but I felt that because- they threw it in yeah. in Rogue One. They would definitely do, do something, something like that. Yeah. And what's interesting here is because, like, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I talked to Ruka about it. She's been a part of this the whole time. This wasn't that she saw an opportunity with Voss and then overpowered him and then kind of fills in. This is like she's been in this allegiance from the beginning. Potentially Voss knew about it because, like, mm-hmm. people are saying, oh, you don't know everything about her, her quite a lot to Han. So potentially other people know about this a little bit or have an idea about it. Yeah. But I, I, you know, but she does really care about Han. She just wants him to get out first before she has to do what she has to do. Like, yeah. is that correct? You think? Okay. Yeah, I think I that's correct. Sure. I think you know she's mm-hmm. proven that her allegiance is to Crimson Dawn, and yep. that for whatever reason, whether that's fear of death or she's been brainwashed, she can't leave that. Yeah. So at this point, Kira contacts Voss's superior. So uh, throughout the film, or the, certainly the uh, Voss scenes, we. We're often told that he answers to a superior. Someone is in charge and overlooking Crimson Dawn. Of course. Again, my feeling was at that point, and also having read some of the- uh, Have I told you I've read some of the like Expanded Universe books? There no, were like crime us. syndicates in that, but they always- They like had power and control, but often they would still answer to the emperor. So that was what I thought was coming. So we, we get this hologram conversation. It's a hooded, robed- Dark Lord, and I'm thinking, yeah, it is the Emperor. Okay, cool. 
his voice is kind of different. I'm like, that's a weird choice. And then we get the front view. Who is it, Al? Hood comes back, baby. So here's the thing. So there was a film, and I'm not going to spoil the ending for that, but it's a film called Split, and they do this cool thing in Split, and they tell you it's going to happen because of the music they play ties into a different film. And I knew the music so well, I knew what was about to happen, and I got very excited. They do the same thing here, because what we're talking about with this guy taking the other music, you're in this scene, and you see the hooded character from the side, and then you start hearing this, Oh, damn, I missed that. I didn't see it again. It's really subtle, and I started like going, what is that music? What's happening? And I decided to get excited and then he pulls back and said, it's fucking Maul! Darth Not Maul. Darth Maul, sadly, anymore. But it's fucking Darth Maul. It's just Maul. So, played by the same actor. Yeah. But not with the voice of Stefan Everett, or whatever you say his name. <laughs> but the voice of the guy who does Darth Maul in all of the cartoon stuff. So like Clone yeah. Wars and Rebels. This is that guy's voice. So Which we've I mentioned this. Voice, we've mentioned this briefly. Uh, I think when we did the Clone Wars movie podcast about the Clone Wars uh, animated series yep. and the return it of Maul off, in that. Yeah. So Do you Disney I said are I now truly tying it all together and bringing in all their their assets. Um, so Maul, obviously, in that series, survived the fall. Didn't he have spider? He has spider legs to begin with. But then so remember, I remember Christina yeah. rolling her eyes at me because I'm telling her a boring story about how Darth Maul after he's fallen down his pit and his animated show is like reassembled <laughs> with robot parts, his spider legs, goes crazy, and then they give him like robot legs and like a new body. Here he is with his robot legs. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> I know you really like this guy, right? This is I like one of your favorite Maul guys. So much. Yeah, yeah, I mean we both I think I we know. both said at the end of the Phantom Menace that we were sad that he wasn't. So utilized sad. more in I was that, like, how are they going to bring him back? So you how guys are happy? So I was so happy with this moment, personally. I was very, very surprised. I was not expecting it at all. Yep. That was a big <laughs> shock. Again, like, with, like I said in the last moment, there's, there's always that slight sort of Disney cynicism of like, oh, okay, this is just, it's all tying it in. But I'm fine with that. I just want more, more. But it was okay. it was a really, really cool surprise. So basically, and then they make him do the goofy thing of like grabbing his lightsaber as well, which isn't the lightsaber he had in the last one. This is the lightsaber nope. from the animated show that he's put together. Yeah, still and a double sided, say, double double sided lightsaber. Though, right? Yeah, still double sided lightsaber. But his face isn't makeup either. They CGI'd his face, which you can tell a little bit, which is a shame. We should have just put makeup on his face. Well, I'm worried about because we'll they, they the aged him a little bit. I think as well. Well, well, he is. It's the same actor. Yeah. So this is fifth. Well, two thousand and one was Phantom Menace. This is a long no, time. Phantom this Menace was ninety eight or ninety nine. Oh, it's, it's been a long fucking time, man. Since yeah. since he last played this role. So my worry here is, and we'll get to the end if we think there's going to be more and what the future is for this. But if they do more of this and they bring him in more physically, he can't do those moves he used to do, like that cool lightsaber battle. He can't with Ewan McGregor. He can't do that anymore. There's no way. Too old. And yeah, they I use mean, the animated voice. So the mistake for me is bring back the dude who did his voice because he has such a great voice mm -hmm. and get someone else to play him physically and I'll be fine with that. I think yeah. they did it the wrong way around. But fucking happy to see this boy back. We shall see. So yeah, Maul, who he now is revealed to be the head of Crimson Dawn, informs, Maul, is informed by Kira that the mission has failed, but that she's assumed Voss's position. I think, does she accuse Beckett of killing Voss? Yeah. She kind yeah. of fobs it all off. And he's like, oh, we'll, yeah. we'll be working together much closer from now on. Yeah. So then Han, um, Han catches up with Beckett 
And in a classic kind of <laughs> nod to who shoots first, the despicable thing that uh, George Lucas changed from A New Hope when uh, Greedo approaches Han Solo um, in Mother Moss Eisley Cantina and Han shoots him first, mm. but then it was changed in later editions. Here they pull out their weapons and Han definitely shoots and kills Beckett. 100%. First. Shot first. Yeah. I was surprised that they killed him. And I think him. Beckett says, I didn't like expect that. you to shoot first. Yeah, yeah, Or he something does. like that. Yeah. Which I <laughs> thought was just like, I applaud you giving George well Lucas the finger there. <laughs> well played. Absolutely the right thing to do. And I like it because you see Chewie's face for a second because Chewie doesn't see Beckett go for the gun. So Chewie just thinks that Solo has become like a killer. Yeah. <laughs> but then Beckett, Beckett has to say out loud, I would have killed you. Yeah. So everybody yeah. knows, oh, it's all right. <laughs> but then they kind of yeah. have this moment, don't they, where- Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. You have this nice little yeah. kind of moment um, and appreciation yeah. of, of- Again, so who, I mean, other than Maul, clearly by the end, but who is the bad guy here? You know? Yeah. There isn't really- a yeah. bad guy in this film, like a proper bad guy. Yes, it's Maul. That's it. Really. Yeah, but you don't see him until the though. end, and he's not yeah. there and doing anything. He doesn't really give a shit about things that are happening that much. So it's like, yeah. So Han and yeah, Chewie- because you end up caring about everybody. That's everyone's the got a different best, side though. to them. Every baddie like, in this has a different bad, side to them. You still like them because again, even Voss at the end when they're hiding, once uh, Beckett leaves and they all hide, like I said, they jump and hide. He's like Han. Maybe we should strike a deal. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And he's like, he's not that bad. He's like, we can yeah. work it yeah. out. You know? Yeah. He's like, he's just purely a businessman, that guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Han and Chewie deliver the coaxium back to Enfys, who then offers Han the chance to join the rebellion against the Empire and says that this coaxium is going to fuel the rebellion or, or start the start the spark. <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> say that. I'm so glad she didn't that, say that. Yeah. Um, but Han <laughs> declines. He says, not this time, kid. Which is kind of cool because all throughout this film, Beckett calls Han kid. And we're so used to Han being the older, mm. more rugged, wiser. So there's a definite like a role reversal here. And now it's sort of like he's put on the That's true. Han Solo hat as we know him. And, he, and he's like, not this time, kid. Maybe, maybe another time. Just noticed there were no Jedis. Nope. This yep. is the first- Star Wars film. Uh, no really mention of it, To not too. have a lightsaber, to not have C-3PO or R2-D2 somewhere in there, and to not mention the Jedis at any point. The only, the, I think the only consistent thing would be Warwick Davis. Yes, I'm glad you brought him up. I was sad yeah. we missed him. He's one of the rebel, rebels, rebels. Yeah. <laughs> he's one of the rebels, and he's not uh, in, he's unmasked, which is nice. It's nice he to is. see his actual face for once. He's not. This is his 10th Star Wars film, in turn apparently. turn to an alien. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so, also, we should say, Ben Thick from Rogue One, did you spot? Um, so the weird looking cool character yep. who at the beginning of Rogue One yep. takes- One of Saw Gerrera's guys, right? Yeah, takes the pilot- to Saw Gerrera, and I love the design of that character. He's he's there as well, one of the yeah. rebels. Yeah, that was cool. I, I wasn't sure if it was like that sort of species of alien or if it was him. So that's really cool that it's him. People are saying. So Han declines the offer, but um, Enfys gives him a single canister of the fuel, which is enough to buy his own ship. So in the Even coda two, of the film right? now, we have Han and Chewie. Give Chewie one. <laughs> right. Seriously. What? Give Chewie one as well, right? I mean, come <laughs> on. Just one? They gave him, like, dozens. Yeah. One each. He carried it, too. He carried it back and yeah. forth. And Chewie's <laughs> got, like, no say in what, where that's spent. And imagine how, <laughs> how hot Chewie is on that hot desert planet. 
Fuck yeah, man. Jesus. <laughs> boiling. You just cut back to him and he's like half shaved. <laughs> yeah. Just feeling great. Um, so Han and Chewie track down Lando, who's on this sort of like in this kind of foresty cave playing a game of Sabak with some more cool, interesting, different aliens. He's wearing another cape and a really funny kind of like almost like a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> yes <laughs> it was so just actual like, patterns like actual weird in- proper patterns it's yeah so i was like that is wild it's really cool <laughs> and han and, and lando greet each other with a hug but han sneakily steals lando's cheating card they play a game and lando's unable to cheat so he loses giving han and chewie the millennium falcon and they finish by heading to tatooine where a gangster is putting together a crew for a heist and we end the film with directed by Ron Howard. <laughs> yeah. And the original two exactly. directors are only down as executive producers now. And that, um, friends, is Solo, a Star Wars story. One special little throwback line, which I completely missed both times somehow that yeah, we missed as well in this, was where the mining, is it a mining town? There's a bit where Lando turns, no, it's near the end. There's a bit where Lando turns to, um, after he's wrecked the ship, to Han and says, I hate you. And Han says, I know. And it's a nice ah, little reversal nice. of the I nice. love you, I know. Nice. That's actually that actually reminds me of another little Easter egg is when they go to the when they go to Kessel, Lando says a line of like, um I, I hate mining colonies, which is funny because oh, he that's... ends up the head of a mining of course gas mining cloud, colony in Cloud City. Cloud City. I like the throwbacks there in this because they're it. quite they're a little bit more nuanced. Mm. Yes. Yes. Or are Excellent. They? We did it. All right. Let's go. Or are they? <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to place them back. All right. So, yeah, like we said, this film's not gone down that well. With critics, have been pretty, yeah, there's been a lot of sevens out of ten, which I think is, you know, uh, uh, fairly fine score. But mm-hmm. the public hasn't been that kind to it. Money has not been kind to it. Harrison Ford, however, uh, for anybody who's you know getting behind Harrison Ford, like, oh, he's not my real hard solo, like blah blah. Harrison Ford was quoted as saying he thought the film was phenomenal, was his word, uh, and he skipped the premiere because he didn't want to steal uh, Alden's thunder by turning up and making it about him. That said, Harrison Ford is a stickler for professionalism. He's criticized Shia LaBeouf and other people for speaking their minds about when they don't like a film they're in, and he thinks it's your job to promote a film professionally and always in a supportive manner. So, yeah, who knows if he really does think it's phenomenal or not. Hmm. Whoever even watched it, <laughs> they probably sent him a copy and he just, like, watched Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull again or something. I mean, just imagine him, yeah. like, getting, getting a phenomenal. copy and just looking at it and you're like, <laughs> like Luke throwing the lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, I think, we, I mean, look, clearly there's been quite a few things that we have all agreed on, actually, which I was surprised. I thought there'd be some arguments going on here um, and that we've enjoyed. Other than the robot, there weren't that many arguments. But let's see just how much we did enjoy it or didn't enjoy it. Christina Masterson, how okay. much, what are your thoughts of this film? And where, like, let's try and get into a little bit. Where would you rank this roughly in the pantheon? Okay. Star Wars films. So I thought the performances were great. I loved the story about the beginning of the rebellion. I thought it took me on a great ride. And in comparison to Rogue One, you know, Rogue One, I thought Rogue One looked beautiful. I thought it was shot great, um, but it was boring and I didn't care about any of the characters that much. Um, this one, I loved all the characters. I connected with them. I cared about them. 
I actually enjoyed the adventure and the action, which I usually don't in these movies. And uh, yeah, and I give this uh, two thumbs up. I, I like it better than Rogue One. I liked it better than The Last Jedi. I like it better than all the prequels. I don't really <laughs> remember what was the one before The, the Last Force Jedi. Awakens. Force Awakens. I don't remember Force Awakens anymore for you some reason. You have to go reason. see it again. <laughs> Dang it. And I definitely like it better. Did I say that I liked it better than Rogue One? Yeah. 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 All right. We yeah. get it. You hate Rogue One. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just boring <laughs> no, for yeah. me. I was. If you made me watch Rogue One again, oh my I'm god, gonna, that would be horrible. Look, just to be clear to everybody listening, I make Christina Masson do nothing. I don't make you do anything. <laughs> this is of your own volition. I am not accountable. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought this was pre- surprisingly pretty great. So it was it was more like fun. a welcome surprise, or did you just genuinely love it? You know, like was it more like, oh, that was actually you know just a fun time, or did you really passionately, you know, do you feel it's one of the best ones or was it more like well it's you know right there in the middle or you know i think it's definitely one of the better ones okay definitely okay yeah interesting do you want to see did, more like, of this you know the whole time i was watching it i kept turning around to my friend and being like oh yeah yeah <laughs> did you see that oh my god you know <laughs> so like, yeah i'm in the fucking cinema I with fun. you <laughs> <laughs> so you're moved to I was doing that as well, but no one was sitting you next were. to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's chewy. It, um, so do you want to see more of these? Though? That's the thing, like, because they do these anthology movies. Do you yeah, want to see more solo films? I do. When I saw Rogue One, I was like, I don't really want to see more of these. Mm-hmm. When I saw Solo, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I would watch more of these. Okay. All right. So I think they did a. I did think they are doing a way better job. Yeah. Okay. Alex, do you want me first or do you want me to go first? I don't care. Whatever you, you decide, you decide. No, 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 no. You're the host of these. You can pick. Fine, I'll go last. <laughs> okay. So, when I got out of this movie the first time, I was in a very strange state because I got out with my friends. So, let me quickly tell you what they thought of it. My friend Avna, who had never seen Star Wars film before, really fucking loved it. She turned around to me and was just like, there are more of these that I can watch? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> she got really no, excited. not like that, though. Not like that, I would argue if you find anything enjoyable here, she should check out The Force Awakens um, for sure. And maybe, you know, she might like the others. But but yeah, so then Alberto, like I said, he loved the originals, but hadn't seen any of these new ones. He came out and he wasn't that keen on it. He thought it was very beautifully photographed, um, but he thought it was too... He thought it was too big. He was like, that's too big for him. To which I said, sir, do not go and see Infinity War (laughs) if you thought that that was too big. Um, Because one of the things I like about this movie, like we've been saying, is it feels smaller for me. Yeah, it felt smaller for me too. Yeah. So yeah, I did have to encourage him. If you don't, if you think this one's too big, then you're just not watching enough modern blockbusters, to be honest. And then, uh, yeah, we had his friend who seemed to enjoy it, but we didn't really get into in depth. Haruka, when she went to see it, this is a surprise because Haruka's a grumpy, grumpy girl and she has a big crush on Harrison Ford um, and loves Han Solo in those first movies. And she went in really ready for a fight. She was fucking ready for a fight. And, and normally she gets into a fight. But she came out of this one and I was shocked because she fucking loved it. Like she really, really loved it. It was one of her favorite Star Wars films. And That's because everybody's so likable. <laughs> so <laughs> likable. 
Oh, sorry. Jesus, go home. <laughs> what is home? that? I don't get that joke. So oh. low. So local. So local. So oh, so long, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're the jazz singer in that bar. I love him. So when I came out, I was confused because I had two sides of me. I had this one side that was actually really angry. I decided I was really angry because I was like, you told a story I didn't need to tell it, uh, need to be told. You told it with an actor who, no, it doesn't matter how good he is, it's like, it's, he's too close to the same age as Harrison Ford in the first one, so it's like, this is stupid. And you ticked off all these fucking boxes that were pissing me off, and particularly in that first half an hour, it's like, you ticked off so much stuff that you rushed for that's my least favorite type of prequel, which is essentially what this is. I don't like prequels for this reason. I don't want you to fill in all the gaps and tick off, oh, you remember that thing we mentioned once in that one scene? Here's where that thing happened. And they do that a lot in this, from the Kessel Run, to Chewie ripping off arms, to the gun that he gets, to his name, to when he meets Chewie, to the dice, like so many things. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't need an origin to everything in one film. So I was kind of angry and grumpy. The other side of my personality was like, if I can try and remove all of that and just judge this as a film. And that's the hard thing, is like to judge it as a film and to judge it as someone who, you know, likes all the other films. Well, no, not all the other films, but you know what I mean. It, I thought it was potentially really, really good. And this feeling grew on me for the, so grew on me for the next few days. And that's really the reason why I had to go back. Because I had to go back because by the time I was going back in my head, I was like, I think this might be one of my favorite Star Wars movies ever made. And I had to go back in and judge it while removing the grumpiness of being a fanboy and all the stuff that, yeah, I do think is unnecessary and kind of stupid. So sitting down last night to watch it, I went in and with that mind frame. And this is my third favorite Star Wars film. Nice. I fucking love this movie. I think only Empire Strikes Back and A New Hope, I think, are better. I like this more than Return of the Jedi. I like it more than Force Awakens. I think the closest in tone to this is The Force Awakens in this kind of sort of, let's just have fun with characters, with charm and stuff and throwbacks. The difference is The Force Awakens halfway through just becomes a photocopy of the first film. Whereas this is entirely its own thing. And yeah, I feel kind of dirty (laughs) because the reality of why it exists and all the things it's doing, I don't agree with and should piss me off. But simply as a movie, and that's what I mean, just as basing as a movie, this is way more my kind of thing. Uh, The way it's told, the way it's shot, the acting, the charisma of it. It's like edging towards Guardians of the Galaxy style, but without going that silly, you know? Yeah, and I fucking I fucking love that, and I will. I've seen it twice, and I kind of want to see it again. Like I really, really enjoyed it. And most of the most of the chat that me and Haruka had, as soon as we realized, oh, we both love this movie, which we did not expect to happen, we just sat for an hour and kind of discussed which was the better summer block, well, which was the better blockbuster this year, Infinity War of this. And it was so interesting because like Infinity War is a CGI oh, hey, hey. monstrosity. Whereas this is the opposite. And I said, look, this is more my type of film. But when I left this film, I do have to say at the end, I wasn't excited by that last frame. I didn't feel anything emotionally really by that last frame. I didn't go into the end credits going, yeah, or anything like that. But I no came applause. out and it crashed, it grew me. No, no applause for me. Whereas Infinity War, yeah, it's a fucking punch to the guts. Like the ending of Infinity War and a character of Thanos is like, that resonated with me for days. <laughs> and I couldn't move for like a minute at the end of that film. But that was kind of the discussion that we had to have. And I thought I never expected with Solo to be having that kind of discussion of, yeah, is it, you know, like, where does it fit with like the best films, Bob Busters of the Year? And I fucking love it. I love it. 
Jump on the bandwagon, Alex. <laughs> Jump on it. So <laughs> let me pose a question to you guys. If you had to guess, did I join in the applause or did I not join in the applause? What would you say? He applauded. You applauded. I fucking applauded. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I fucking applauded. Um, not peer pressured in. I like to think I started the applause. I was certainly uh, very happy to join in. Um, yeah, I was actually very lucky that Adrian and I had a, a sort of a message back and forth last night because it sort of helped clarify my thoughts and feelings on the film. So like I said earlier, I was very pessimistic and cynical in the whole build up in this. From the moment Disney were like, we're making a young Han Solo film. Nope. And then it was like, here's the actors we're auditioning. Nope. Here's the one we've cast. No, I was just so, so against it and thought that it shouldn't be visited in any way because Han Solo is so deeply rooted and connected to Harrison Ford's betrayal of the character. I couldn't see any way around that. I couldn't see any way around that. But like, I, oh yeah, and then obviously with the controversy with the director change and then how Last Jedi turned out, um, I was just like, Disney is just fucking it all up. This is going to suck. And even though my tone started to soften as I saw some of the trailers and I was like, oh, this kind of looks cool. This is sort of more towards on the Rogue One side of things. It could be really interesting. And I was obviously a fan of Rogue One. So I was like, this could be, this could be interesting. So I went into it a little bit more open-minded, although feeling very fatigued already and sort of oversaturated with Star Wars, which really sucks and breaks my heart because I just feel like, yeah, we're, we're losing that sort of bigger sense of anticipation because there's very short gaps in between all these films that they're planning to just throw out at us. However, so yeah, I went into it with a bit more open mind and and immediately felt on board with Alden, um, what's his last name? Nobody knows. Hi, Enrich. Uh, Aaron Rich. Aaron Reich. Aaron Rich. <laughs> um, yeah, felt immediately on board and what- I really got from him from the get-go was a sense that he wasn't it wasn't going to be a, a performance based on an impersonation of Harrison Ford in Han Solo. He immediately there was something about it that he made his own which felt refreshing and and and, and I think complemented with some of the writing felt it still felt connected to that character but it felt like I was seeing it from an angle that I hadn't seen and I think Credit goes to him for that, especially with all these kind of changes in uh, directing, because it felt for me, yeah, it felt enjoyable. I didn't, at no point did I kind of cringe and feel like, ah, that was just such a blatant kind of ripoff or, or kind of impression or poor impression of Harrison Ford. At no point did I feel like he was doing an impression, which is really, really great. And so I didn't know how much. Also seeing The Last Jedi very closely or like a day or two before seeing this affected my impressions of this, but it was like such a relief seeing this film after watching The Last Jedi, which, and this film emphasized even more how much of a mess that film is. Structurally, narratively, it's pacing. Oh, it makes me feel sick that that's <laughs> happened to that storyline. Like it is just in such a in such bad shape, and and like 
Although I, I wouldn't say that this story was necessarily a breath of fresh air or that it was like out of the ordinary, it was so much more cohesive and clearer and just better paced than The Last Jedi. And that was a massive relief to me. And it meant, most importantly, that I had fun. I had fucking a lot of fun throughout this whole film. And there were moments like in the original films where they took a moment to breathe like the Sabah game, like, let's stop for a second. Let's put the brakes on the action and just have a bit of banter and a back and forth and let's show some chemistry and some character. And it was like, fucking cool, awesome. And so I think that, like, yeah, seeing Jedi was a big influence on how much I enjoyed this. Like I said earlier, there, I thought there were some bits that were a little heavy as far as uh, Disney trying to establish that sort of connective tissue between the films and really build its version of the Star Wars universe. And I think some things are a little bit on the nose, but but at the same time, I was like, yeah, cool, whatever. Sorry, I've got loads of notes. I'm going to go through all of them. <laughs> so in the trailers as well, I said at the beginning, there were moments watching the trailers where I was like, I don't necessarily believe this ha- should be a Han Solo film. Like it could be just a new character. And mm-hmm. there were occasional moments throughout this film where I was like, this doesn't have to be Han Solo. That could just be any guy. No, it doesn't. And I would still be on board. I would still really enjoy it. And then maybe those those sort of connective threads that they were trying to build wouldn't have been emphasized as much. And I, yeah, and it, that would have not sort of bothered me as much. I think- But then tra- we wouldn't have Chewie. Yeah, I was going to say, then I think if I can talk to you for one second, I think the interesting thing is they don't buy me in on this film with him because it's a different actor. So I don't think I'm liking him because he's Han Solo at any point. I think, if anything, that's a real struggle for him. But, mm-hmm. yeah, the chemistry between him and Chewie is so good. Yeah. That is sure. an anchor that you definitely have because of the previous films, is we know Chewie, we yep. like Chewie. You know, that's definitely helped. Oh, uh, yeah. And so then for me, then, with the whole directorial change, for me, and, and this maybe goes back to sort of what you were saying about Ron Howard earlier, watching this coming out of it, for me, I felt there is absolutely no directorial stamp on this that makes it unique from a directing point of view. It feels like it's just been really pushed off the sort of Disney production line of like, here's the structure and style we're going to use, and here, here it is, and this is how it's going to look, and this is how it's going to feel. However, what is highlighted for me and why I like it and what I think has to get credit is the fact that it was written by Lawrence Kasdan and his son. Because with him writing Empire and The Force Awakens, there's a charm and wit to how he writes this universe. And there's mm-hmm, an energy definitely. to it. And there's, there's humor at the right time. There's stakes. There's consequences. And that was just like hitting me constantly. And I was feeling that. And I was like, I, this is the world I know. This is the world I love. Like I'm, I'm involved in this. I'm connected to it. And I think so that's the character from the writing is more important, maybe for you than the direction, even potentially. Possibly, I mean, I would, I would relish seeing unique and bold choices, and and Ryan Johnson attempted to do that, but it was a mess. It didn't work because he, like you were saying, didn't follow through on things, or it just didn't yeah. didn't pull it off. Like, see, I disagree with you with the look of this film. Like for me, this film, what is most, I cannot understand how this film works like with it being from two completely different creative directors or sets of directors such like such a huge amount filmed by both of them i can't comprehend how this film works i can't 
and the fact that it doesn't feel like either of those directors, and I've seen almost everything both of them you know, sets have done, doesn't feel like either of them. So I kind of see what you're saying in that there's not a stamp like that, because it doesn't feel like a stamp from either of those sides of directors. But to me, there's definitely a stamp here. And this is what I spent most of the night talking with Alberto about, was like, that for me is the most unique looking Star Wars film by far. Um, and one of the most unique looking blockbusters I've ever seen. But I was sort of, when we were discussing, is this the DP? Like, was the DP really the one who carried the style for the film across? Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe not, you know, camera moves, sure, like you're not as expressive maybe. But was the DP the one who was allowed to bridge the gap between those two directors because he was the only one, you know, following across like that? Because there is a very unique look to this film. But yeah, I agree for sure. with the, um, yeah, maybe with like camera rigs and stuff, not so much. Like there aren't as many sort of interesting shots, but they look very interesting. Like, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love how it looks and how it feels. But yeah, it's that thing of like, it doesn't, for me, that's not a reflection of whoever directed the film and what belonged to who. I enjoyed, I was into it because of the writing created that universe. Whoever shot it almost feels anonymous to me. And, but, but as much as, and I don't say that as a criticism because like you, I, I love how it looks. I think it's stunning. I think there's some amazing choices. But I feel no kind of sense of like connection to who who was behind that, because maybe yeah, okay. because of that mess, I guess. And yeah, and and then to wrap it all up, oh, so I was talking about Donald Glover before. I really enjoyed his performance. There was just some parts where I thought it, I just didn't always believe it. I think it lacked a little bit of grounding and truth, and that he was. There were just some moments where it felt like he was knowingly playing it too cool. And I saw an interview with him where he went and had a chat with Billy D. Williams and Billy and and he was trying to research the role and like how he coming up with his backstory. And I think Billy D said to him, forget about all that. Just be cool. <laughs> I think there's like some moments right. where maybe he took that too mo- too literally. Too literally. <laughs> like and it just it's just these brief moments where it just it just feels like the coolness is being played. It's not being, I, I think Adrian said it uh, in the messages. It's like, it's not being inhabited. It's not sort of just like pouring out of him. Like it was, it was, it was being played. Mm. But despite all of that, these kind of weird conundrums and sort of, I, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. You know, again, I don't, <laughs> I, I just think it was, yeah, it was great. It was fun. It was fun and it was dynamic and the characters and their, their chemistry and their relationships were a real sort of hark back to to some of the originals. Yeah, it had this kind of it had the nice sort of pacing of Force Awakens. Although Force Awakens never stopped, this allowed moments for it to breathe. And for me, I guess it f- actually feels coming out of the end of this film, it feels like the setup of a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get to that yes. in a second. We'll get to that yeah. in a second. Like this doesn't does. Rogue One very much was like this is a pocket of time in the Star Wars universe, yeah, and a story that in. that relates into the main canon, but yeah. it, it felt very isolated. Whereas yeah, well, we'll this, to- yeah, I know. Yeah, so we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But anyway, I, I really, really enjoyed so it. It was such, where would such, you put such it? a relief. Where would you put it roughly? I know you you need multiple viewings to decide where exactly. But yeah. well, you know what? Like this is the first one of the Disney ones where. I have come out and I feel that my feelings on this film aren't going to swing back in a different direction. It's right, not going to okay. require re- repeat of viewing like Rogue One where I was a bit like, meh, and then I watched it again. I was like, whoa, and then I watched it a third time. I was like, great, I love it. 
Here, I'm like, I, this is great. I love it. Like, I feel like very excited about it. And it's the first time out of all the Disney films that that's happened where I, I felt very certain coming out of it and very excited about what I've seen. Yeah. Where does it rank so far? It's, it's definitely right up there. I think I had Rogue One at three, I think I ranked it. And, and for me- at this point, yeah, it's probably just surpassed. It would not just be, but it has surpassed. <laughs> oh, baby. Do we have the same top three then right now? I think so, yeah. That's pretty incredible, my friend. You know, and, and from our last Jedi podcast, that dropped. Like, I put that below Phantom Menace now. <laughs> 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 so, my, my Everybody who's listening have, just have, tuned have out. really shifted. <laughs> but, but this one, I feel very- yeah, very excited about it. And when I came out of the theater, I messaged Bethany right away, um, who's away at the moment, and I was like, when you get back, we're seeing this again. And that was just purely <laughs> out of, this wasn't out of like, oh, I need to see it again because I need to figure it out. This was, I'm mm-hmm. fucking excited. I want to share I go this with watch you. that again, and I want to watch that with her because I know yep. she's as big or has been as big a cynic about this film as I was what going she, into it. And I'm just what like- if she hates it? What what if, I, she hates if she hates it, it <laughs> she hates it, but like- <laughs> Just, I told I, I tell think, her there are no porgs, man. No porgs. Yeah, I think it'll be one of those ones where, yeah, I think she'll be surprised. I really do. I came home and told Brandon too. I was like, you should go watch it. It's pretty good. Yeah. I think you'll like <laughs> <Pretty> it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. All right, so you did raise what's happening next. So Alden was signed up, as is kind of typical for Disney, on a multi-picture deal. Three-picture deal. That's what he was signed for. So they were obviously planning for the eventuality of there could be a trilogy of solo films. Now. This film, like you're saying, very much sets that up because there's still plenty of room before we get to A New Hope. And we're only at the end introducing Maul, which obviously they could do more stuff with. So the problem is it's not made much money. <laughs> so all of their plans, like either they just can go, fuck it, we're just going to go ahead anyway, which could happen. Or they could actually listen to the box office and decide, you know what, let's just cut our losses with this. Um, what we do know is happening next is a recently confirmed Boba Fett and Obi-Wan Kenobi film. Alex, what period of time is that taking place in? I am not too sure, to be honest. Um, I feel like the Boba Fett films they are said, either- Did it say they that article? They gave a bracket of time. You? Yeah, yeah. They, well, they, yeah, they give a bracket just, of time. Let me just look it up quickly. Because people are saying that given the bracket time, do you remember because I texted you? Because Ewan McGregor could play it. And uh, I yeah, said- Yeah, so no, the rumor is that Ewan McGregor could play it, which is uh, set- yeah, it would be set between uh, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, basically while he's in exile. But that, that, mm-hmm. that's been mm-hmm. rumored for quite a while. So do you, do you want to know like, what I think, why I think there's going to be a second solo movie? Why? why? <laughs> Thank you, time Christina. To- <laughs> because Obi-Wan. look at what's happening here, man. Look at the timelines, okay? Because now- we love it. <laughs> sure. Uh, because <laughs> they listen to this podcast. Now, Ewan McGregor, he's, I still think he's going to be too young because if you look at the brackets of time of when you're feeding into New Hope, like he's going to be like 10 years too young, but they can age him up a little bit, whatever. Now, here's the thing. If they're making a Boba Fett, Obi-Wan Kenobi film in that bracket of time, okay, and we just had Solo in that bracket of time, slightly undetermined exactly when it is, what are they going to fucking do, man? They're going to do that film. It's going to, have, it's going to bridge the gap into Solo 2 and you know what's going to happen. Like, we've reintroduced Maul. They're going to bring back Maul with Obi-Wan. Like, they're no. going to have back Ewan McGregor and, like, Maul killed his fucking master and then he threw him down that hole. Then, no, there's no way. Like, that's got to be what they're gearing towards. It's like, this is an opportunity for them to bring back this old Ewan McGregor, reintroduce Darth Maul, and get, like, 
like reset right what was so wrong in those prequels of bringing these characters back into the fold again, but doing doing it their way. And I really feel that's what the mechanisms are kind of like working forward, and they're going to tie the solo films with the Obi Wan and Boba Fett films. Well, the interesting thing is, is that Obi Wan and Maul do confront each other in the animated series. So I oh, wonder they? if they're going to do oh, yeah, that do. Yeah. on film or if they're going to leave that and do something different. It's going to be interesting. That's a good point because that is canon. So they do have to, they have to acknowledge it at least. Yeah, I, I really think that's where we're going. We're going with it. And I think that's the only real hope for this getting a sequel, um, which I would love to see. I don't think they can make a sequel as good as that first one, though. I don't. Like, I don't know how they'll recapture the magic that they did in this one. But um, I'd like to see them try. Which just seems like a long way out, considering the amount of other Star Wars films we've got coming. Obi- Obi-Wan and Ben, and sorry, and Boba Fett, Star Wars Part 9, uh, the three films from the Games of Thrones people, the three new films from Ryan Johnson, which are probably going to be about Broom Boy, the TV series from Jon Favreau, like, throwing this in as well, like two more solo films <laughs> into that mix. You're like, where are they going to come? Are we going to get to two Star Wars films a year? Is that what's going to happen? That's a lot. Christina's got to quit if that happens, all right? So please, just one a year, one a year she can handle. <laughs> Alex, you want more solo though? Do you think they'll do it? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell with the whole financial side of things. I feel though, if they do have this plan, like you're sort of saying, which does seem very likely that all these Star Wars story standalone films, which I think, I think I've said it in another podcast, Catholic. Uh, Kathleen, uh, Kennedy. Kathleen Kennedy said, we're never going to feed back into the original yeah, canon, the did. Skywalker canon, and those characters <laughs> wouldn't overlap. But clearly, uh-huh. it seems that's all happening now. They're not going to be standalone very anymore. Much so, um, you know, if that if does turn out, I feel like then, yeah, regardless of finances, if they're building this universe, I, I feel like they'll go ahead with it. Do I want to see it? Yeah, at this point, I do. I'm curious. I'm curious. <laughs> I like you curious. To see how they can they how they can top this. If they don't, I would be very happy just having this film. Yeah. You know, I'd be very, very happy at that. And I and I hope yeah, I hope people can go out and see it. I I completely understand if people are feeling Star Wars fatigued, especially mm-hmm. off the back of The Last Jedi, which disappointed so many fans. But I I, I would certainly urge people to go into this film, like just drop all that kind of baggage just go into it with an open mind don't think of harrison ford and han solo don't think of last jedi and just, just think go of in. chewy think of chewy and just enjoy mm-hmm. it and uh think i think you'll be movie. i think you'll be really really surprised i think you know you you'll oh. find that it captures that energy that that we love with this franchise i completely forgot to say i can't believe i left it to the end because i wanted it to be like pretty much my last statement so, yeah, I have to say that. Although, before I say that very quickly, I do want to say, I don't want to condone this. Like, I don't want to condone this. I'm stuck here because I want to see another solo movie and I love this movie, but I don't want to encourage Kathleen Kennedy to keep treating her directors like this. So, I'm kind of stuck between, I hope it makes no money so she fucking learns to just have faith in a director and follow through. But at the same time, I like this movie. And I want to sing Pietro uh, Scalia, who's the editor on this movie. I think potentially a lot of the success of this movie comes down to him. Because when you have directors with that much footage, editors never get called out, and it must have been a fucking nightmare to have two different styles. It really must have, man. So yeah, no, for Scalia, sure. He definitely well deserves. Done, and he's done some. He's edited some great films before. Um, yeah. My final thing that I wanted to say is my real reason for loving this movie so much, guys, 
is I nearly got what I've always said I wanted in one of these Star Wars solo <gasps> movies. Yes. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> yes. Three I times. There is three gonks in this movie. Yep. And they get <laughs> the they're in the uh, wrestling ring. Is back in the wrestling ring and on the mining core and, and somewhere else. I noticed three. I counted three gonks. And I don't know if they're the same gonk on his epic journey through space. But he's there waddling around in the background. And oh my God, do I love that walking dustbin so much. Yeah. It made me very, very happy. <laughs> and it makes me so happy that the three of us can uh, feel the same way about a movie for once. Doesn't happen that often. So, and it's, I did not expect it to be this movie. I thought for sure one of us would be grumpy. Thank you guys. We won't see each other uh, on this cast anyway for a year and a half because there is not a Star Wars film this Christmas. It is Whoa. next Christmas. Whoa. Because they brought this one out really fucking early for some bizarre reason. I don't know why. Why break, you know, guess what? Bring that out at Christmas. Maybe that's what they'll do. They won't blame it on the film. They'll blame it on we brought it out at the wrong time. We should just keep bringing them out once every Christmas and that's how we'll make money. I mean, I feel um, like they're going to just keep doing that between the uh, the Skywalker saga and the standalone films. But there's Maybe. no one this Christmas. We've got yeah. to wait until next year. Maybe it's just so initially just to also not confuse audiences yeah. as they were confused at the beginning with Force Awakens and Rogue One. But and they need a little bit of a break anyways. Yeah, I no, am going to really value there. A year for months. me is good. A year for me is good. And if you enjoy this podcast or didn't enjoy this podcast, why not just go back and listen to all our other Star Wars podcasts? Because who knows, maybe one of them will appeal to you. Uh, we take on different personalities uh, each time in the hope to, you know, shuffle stuff up, appeal to different demographics. Very important. And we won't see us in this format for Star Wars for a year and a half like we just mentioned, but you might see the three of us uh, in the future at some point. We'll see. Because we do other podcasts and every single Friday we do horror retrospectives. Uh, we've done Charles Play, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Invasion of Body Snatchers. We're doing Romero's Living Dead and then we're about to launch into our next one, which I'm kind of excited about. And that is all through weirdgeeks.com, weirdgeeks.com, where you can patch out to our social medias. You can email us directly through weirdgeeks.com or just send an email, mail at weirdgeeks.com, mail at weirdgeeks.com. Let us know what you think. Let us know where you'd like to change the format. Let us know if uh, you just want me to stop talking. Tough. And let me know if you want us to cover anything in particular, because we will put it on a, you know, we look at stuff and we'll try and adjust stuff for our docket. Also, when you're on weirdgeeks.com, you can patch on out to our Twitch channel and yeah, if you're heading on over to iTunes or your podcast provider or on weirdgeeks.com and just heading out to that provider, please, please, please do subscribe and please, please, please do rate us uh, because, again, we do all of this for free. It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, and we have to watch some shitty films multiple times. Luckily, today was not one of those times, but happens a lot. Uh, we did all the Hellraiser <laughs> films, so God damn it. Pay for the hospital bills, please. Yeah, again, we don't ask for money. We just want your support, so please uh, subscribe. And while you're on WeirdGeeks.com, you can patch out on the little black tab that says Weird Tessellate. That is our parent company. They're a publisher and a production company. Run out of London, LA, and Tokyo making feature films. They're going to be video game apps. There are going to be some short films coming actually very soon. Um, some new short films, which I'm excited about. And uh, music as well. There's new music coming. And we talk about all of that stuff on our topical podcast, which hasn't happened for a month, actually. But we're going to be doing some more. That's sporadic. But when it happens, we talk about that stuff as well as you know, whatever we're doing that week and video games, things like that. I'm on the social medias as Mr. Al White, M-R-A-L-W-H-I-T-E, and also on the Xbox, where I will play Friday 13th, PUBG, and Sea of Thieves with you. What about you lovely, beautiful people? I'm on Instagram and Twitter at underscore hi, Christina. That's true. You are? I'm on those same platforms too. 
at Alexander at Chard. Hi, Christina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Alexander Chard. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. It's been a long journey. I'm happy to get a little break from Star Wars for a while, to be honest, even though I had a fun time. And we will see you if you join us this Friday. We're going to be talking about survival. Uh, no, yeah, we are. Are we? This Friday? Yeah, survival of the living dead. Survival of the dead. The last in the Romero podcast where you'll be able to hear Christina's dulcet tones again. Until then. I have to pee. Yeah. Geeks! Geeks! Geeks.